Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, May 9th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. I've got the team here with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them and we'll get to your calls and questions. Looks like those calls are already starting to come in. So line them up. 855-950-3835. It is the Power Hour. If you've got a question about anything maintenance related, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. We've got Bruce and Eric and Leroy here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them and we'll get to your calls and questions. Let's get started this morning. Bruce, good morning. You're first up. Uh Uh-oh. Let me try that again. Bruce? Kevin? There you are. Go ahead. Okay, I didn't hear you say my name. Anyway, um, I'm going to let Leroy touch more on this topic, but it's about everybody thinks... If we put a tune in their ECM, they're going to gain fuel mileage. There's several reasons why you want to tune. One is the truck's not responsive. Maybe the truck's not performing. Maybe it doesn't pull well. But you don't expect to always gain fuel mileage from a tune, especially the first week, because now you have to learn to push less on the pedal. And you have to drive more by your turbo boost gauge, especially if you ask for performance. And you have to be more aware of how much harder the engine's working on slight grades. Right before, when you keep pushing on the pedal, pushing on the pedal to make the truck go up a slight grade, a 3 or 4% grade, now it goes up at effortless. But if you're using a whole lot more power, then you don't really gain the fuel mileage. About probably 75 or 80% of the people gain fuel mileage with a tune. But if that's your main reason, you may not be the candidate for a tune. So I'm going to leave or touch more on that. Well, let me, let me touch on it a little bit overall. Um, You know, we could apply this to so many more things than just a tune. The tune is, it tends to be where it stands out the most, but Think about this. If we put in a fleet air filter, we get more air to the combustion chamber. We tend to get a horsepower raise, maybe slight, but you get it. And we tend to get better fuel economy as long as you don't abuse the power. It, it, it Almost everything we do to the engine to get performance in a way, it does increase efficiency. But then if we use too much of that horsepower, we lose the efficiency gain. And that applies to a lot of things we do to the engine. That's correct. Just like if you take an engine that has a half a million miles or more and you start using catalyst in the very first trip, you think you're going to gain fuel miles. No, you're in a cleaning process. It's a 90-day cleaning process to clean all that soot and carbon out. And if you do then after 90 days gain some fuel mileage, just because the engine is cleaner now. Back prior to the emission trucks, you know, you put a muffler on. It was almost an instant result. Hey, I got a quarter mile of a gallon. Yeah. That was nice. Back on the 2002 and older, you do a manifold and turbo. And after your uh, manifold turbo and a tune and a damper and balancer, I mean, that was a, a, a good muffler or no muffler. That was a revelation. 
and yeah, the first week was fun. The second week, now you settle down and you drive it right. And yes, you did see fuel mileage. Right. And then it comes, you saw them out the gallon because you made four major changes. But just doing a tune by itself doesn't always guarantee. It guarantees a better running truck, a more fun truck to drive. All the babysitters that are put in from the OEMs. Exactly. So that's all I have, sir. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's hear from Eric and Leroy today. Leroy, you're oh, – what did I – oh, there we go. Yeah. For a second, I thought I hung up on you again. Uh, Leroy, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I guess just to uh, tag off of what Bruce was saying a little bit. Uh, it, it makes me think of a quote that I heard one time that I don't remember exactly how it went, but it was from, uh, I think, the Santa Fe Institute. And they were saying that, you know, things are, it's, it's improbable for things to work out and it's more probable for things to go wrong. Like, for everything to always work out perfect and, you know, every single time we do a tune, we get mileage. That's not very probable. That's not going to happen. So yeah, we, we tend to get trucks in here. We get a lot of mileage or they go to a fuel mileage tune. A lot of people see it. And then there's some people that don't. And the reasons are, you know, probably a lot of different variables. People enjoy it. That tune doesn't seem to work. Um, that certain truck for that application, they're pulling more hills and other people, more people are on the flat, they're in different areas of the map. And there's just a lot of variables, but you know, we, we try to do our best and, but we don't always hit the mark. Got it. That, well, that, that I makes wouldn't sense. say we don't hit the mark. Go ahead, Bruce. We hit the mark to make the truck run better. Yeah, that's the easy thing. To me, 66% of fuel mileage comes from the man behind the steering wheel. And let's do this today. Everyone that calls in that has a tune, let's get their experience. Did they gain fuel mileage right from the start? Or did they enjoy the power for the first week and then they settled down? And I'd just like to hear from owner-operators what they experienced from having a tune. All right. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Because we, we, Kevin, we get people that want a guaranteed fuel mileage increase. Well, that doesn't happen. So let me address that. There is nothing I have ever looked at that I could say, I guarantee you, you'll get fuel economy out of this. There's way too many variables to ever make any kind of a guarantee like that. Right. Yeah. And especially when it comes to tuning, there's never that much left on the table from the OEM right. that you, you can make small changes and get a half mile per gallon. We're, we're really tuning. We're, you know, going in with the fine grit sandpaper, trying to, you know, smooth everything out and get a little greens and efficiency here and there. But there's hardly ever anything that we can do that are big jumps. You know, let me, let me talk about that. We haven't talked about that in a while. Um, one of the things we can look at when we're looking at the efficiency of the diesel engine is how much are, are, of the fuel are we burning? And on modern electronic engines, we're down to a couple percentage points that's left. There's not much there at all. If you can gain that, if you can burn that fuel, the catalyst does it, some of the other things do it, there's a slight gain there. But it, it's math. I mean, if you do the math, there, there's only so much of a potential gain because there's only a little bit of fuel being unburnt in these engines anyway. There's, I've talked about the fact that when you're at truck shows, you get approached by these people. I get emails all the time. Everybody wants me to look at their product. 
And the, as soon as I see this one number, I refuse to look at the product. There are companies that will use a number like we're only burning 40 some percent of the fuel. What they're really, <laughs> what number they're looking at misunderstanding is how much of the energy in the fuel is being used to propel the vehicle down the road. That still is in the 40% range. We're, but we're yeah, burning I mean, all the fuel, fuel or most of it, but any, t- any component you can touch on that truck, if it's warm, that's lost fuel. It's lost energy. It, it was used to generate heat, not to generate motion. So that's the number they try to say, oh, look, our product burns so much more fuel. It can't. There's not much left to burn. Right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, years ago on mechanical engines, the rule was if the stack is clean when you're pulling a grade or a hill, you're burning 100%. If you're not burning 100%, you have a haze or you have smoke. Take a four and a quarter B cat and you don't redo the nozzles and you just keep turning the screws on the pump. After a certain point, you're keeping the pop-off nozzle open too long and now you're putting out the haze. And it usually happens when you get up to around 28, 30 pound of boost. When we do redo the nozzle, we make it 30% larger and then we increase the pop-off pressure. So that we're putting more fuel in during the proper time and then closing the nozzle. So and, and that eliminates that smoke. And we talked about this for years that this is why this is also the same reason why we used to replace bearings at two hundred and fifty thousand miles. Those mechanical engines overall were probably down in the low 90% of the fuel we were burning, and the rest of it was washing down into the crankcase and diluting the oil, and that was hard on bearings. That's why we used to replace bearings all the time. The only real control to how much fuel went in that cylinder on a mechanical engine was your right foot. And like you said, Bruce, the pump and some other settings, but those were not very efficient engines. And the driver could make a big, big difference in how efficient that engine was. Yeah, I mean, one of the... The only one of the only surefire things you can do is improve your fuel mileage. Just slow down. It, and, I mean, and, and sometimes it's ridiculous speed. But you know that's the only surefire way. I mean, that's just math right there. I mean, it takes less power to go slower than it does to go faster. So, it, and that's where it, I get it. Yeah, that's that's just pure physics right there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's where I have to explain to a lot of guys like, hey, it takes X amount of force to push your truck at X amount of mile per hour. Correct. Every mile per hour you keep climbing, it takes more energy to propel that truck through the wind and just move the, the weight of the truck itself. And a lot of guys don't really, I don't think they put it in consideration because they're more concerned about time loads, time restraint stuff. You know, I, I need to be there at that time. I get that. But if you slow down just a little bit, it really doesn't affect your delivery time that much. You know, a lot of guys have a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, and that adds up over a whole day. If they just look at the bigger picture of fuel mileage, you might be able to refine your driving habits a little bit too. And, and who did we hear from somebody? Was it last week or the week before that they were saying something like, "Oh, you rush to get to your your delivery, but the delivery happens at the same time, so it doesn't matter if you rush there or not." Yeah. Like, yeah, well, yep, you, you're gonna operate at the same time, you're gonna deliver at the same time. 
I'll Why take rush? it one step exactly. further. I'll take it one step further. When you're talking about scheduling and being able to deliver or pick up or whatever it might be, I won't even say it's it's neutral. It's negative. Most of the time, the people who get there early end up idling. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's good to be early. You don't want to be like on right. time. You right. don't want to be a little bit early. Plan ahead just in case something happens, but... Yeah, there's no sense in rushing to get there. I think what, I, what I would like to see, I would like to see if there's three trucks loaded the same, going to the same place, and they're going to leave, say, Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. And one guy's going to drive 70, another guy's going to drive 65, another guy's going to drive at 60. And I'd like them to see who gets there the soonest, what kind of fuel he used, and how many minutes between the other two trucks arriving there are because sometimes there's none absolutely anybody who has slowed down considerably in their driving the first thing they will tell you is i can't believe how many times the same trucks pass me during a day you get on an interstate like 70 or 80 or 90 going across the country and this can happen for multiple days you keep seeing the same truck pass you how did that truck pass me six times in the last two days? Well, the only way that can happen is he keeps stopping somewhere because I'm going slower than he is, but he keeps passing me over and over and over. And everybody notices that. Now, here's something else. I actually did a calculation on this. Um, I did it for two reasons. One, just to show time management because the better we manage our time, the slower we can drive and still get everywhere on time. That's really this whole concept. So, I hate getting fuel in a truck. I hate getting fuel in a coach. It's one of the worst things for me about being on the road. So I did a calculation and we have two trucks, same size fuel tanks, but one gets two more miles to the gallon or three, which today isn't out of the question at all. And I calculated how many more times you had to get fuel in a year. Think about all that time. If I don't have to stop and get fuel, there's quite a time savings there. Do you remember the guy that called us? This has been quite a few years ago now, but there was a guy who ran outlaw coast to coast with like two or three other friends of his, and they all ran really fast trips out and back. And he decided to slow down and he called us and told us the money that he saved. He was able to buy a brand new Harley. <laughs> and I think it was a year. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> they were per month where he was taking one less trip, but he figured out the time that he saved, the fuel mileage, the wear and tear on his truck, everything. It it was astronomical numbers on that. This was going back quite a few years ago now though. Hey yeah. And sometimes hey, Eric, here's here's one I, of the things that when if if they don't put the numbers on paper and actually work through them, they'll never get to this. They they try to do this in their head or they think they know Here's part of the problem in that calculation. This guy obviously figured it out. Most people never do. They talk about driving faster to get more revenue. Okay, got it. We talk about driving slower to save expenses. The, the reason they have a hard time comparing these, the revenue you generated, you don't get to keep all of the revenue because you have expenses against that. So everybody's operation is different. How much of that revenue are you keeping and if you don't even know that number, we can't do this calculation. 
On the other exactly. hand, when yep. we lower an expense, so if we raise revenue, let's say that an owner operator's operating ratio is 60%, meaning they keep 40% of all the gross revenue they generate, which is fairly common in the industry, about 40%. That means every time you slow down or speed up, let's do it that way. Every time you speed up to gain more revenue, they look at that revenue at 100%. Oh, look, I made $3,000 more because I drove faster. No, you didn't. You only made 40% of $3,000 because that's all you keep. But if I save $3,000 worth of fuel, it's $3,000 in my pocket. That's what. That's the calculation they they just don't understand. Yes. I mean, sometimes a penny saved is better than a penny earned. Yes, absolutely. You know, Harley Davidson and the, and the boating world has the same saying, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And uh, Eric, you rode Harleys for years in Western Pennsylvania, and uh, you rode more than I have, but I find that if I'm in a hurry to get somewhere and I'm on the motorcycle, uh, it takes me just as long as if I'm just easing on down the highway. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. You need to hurry. Bad <laughs> what's, what's that? I said, if it takes you the same amount of time and you're hurrying, you just need to hurry faster. Yeah. <laughs> no, sometimes I have to hurry to work. <laughs> and you know, Debbie's on the back, and I don't want to take a chance of hurting her. But uh, but anyway, I'm not, and, you know, and Kevin, we know you like the 58. Now, we're not preaching people to go 58, but maybe 65 might be your speed. Maybe it's 67, maybe it's 62. And the turbo boost gauge will tell you that. Find the sweet spot where that truck is going to run in that part of the country and in those weather conditions. You know, if, if it happens to be 67 or 68 and you're on slush or heavy rain, now it's going to be a little different because you're rolling resistance. And you haven't talked about tires for a long time. And, and guys seem to have forgot about tires. You know, we don't talk about tires as much and and rolling resistance um, for a couple reasons. One, a lot of the manufacturers have caught up. For a long time, Michelin was really the only company focusing on rolling resistance. Then Yokohama kind of jumped in and got into the game, and then all the manufacturers kind of figured it out. So it's not as important today. I mean, it's still, I would never put a tire on my truck without figuring out the rolling resistance and and making a good decision. But a a lot of times today, it's not the factor it used to be because all the tires are a little closer now. All right. So give us, give us the good number that we want to be. What is it? So let, yeah, let's do a little rolling resistant lesson. I would say let's go axle by axle down the truck because they're all different. The front axle, the steer axle, don't worry about rolling resistance at all. All the steer tires are so close and the steering axle has the least impact because it's only two tires. Every other axle is four or wide singles. Or So when it comes to the steer tire, base your decision on that tire on performance of the tire. How well does it wear in your operation? Don't worry about rolling resistance. Drive tires, absolutely. There's a couple strategies here. You can go with low rolling resistant lug tires. 
You could go to an all position tire and use the same steer tire you're using. It's a great strategy on the drive axle. You can go to wide singles. We're always looking for low rolling resistance on this axle. Performance of these tires is almost identical. We don't see a lot of wear issues on drive tires. So rolling resistance is important. Trailer, even more important. That is the set of axles that has the biggest impact on fuel economy. I I know there's got to be some physics to this, but I don't really understand it. I don't know why the trailer tires are more important than the drive tires but they are. Um, Trailer tires, we can get really, really low rolling resistance. This is where we should focus. If you're buying trailer tires, here was the strategy for years. Buy a set of steer tires, wear them out, have them recapped as drive tires, wear them out, have them recapped again as trailer tires. As far as how much money you spend on tires, that's actually a really good strategy. It's not a good strategy when it comes to fuel economy. When fuel was 80 cents a gallon, you could do that. It made sense. Fuel at $4 a gallon, those trailer tires are important. Don't be using, you know, your third cap tire. Go get low rolling resistance trailer tires. That's where you're going to be able to make the most difference. That makes sense? Hi. So wasn't there a number? Yes. Wasn't there a number like 0.78 or was it 7.8 as opposed to 126? Uh, so the standard lug drive tire was as high as 126 and, and the um, now, low rolling resistance. I'll kind of give you the range here and then how, how much it affects fuel economy. I believe we have some trailer tires that are down in the 70s. Those are the lowest. We have some lug style drive tires that are at 150. For every... Okay. Every 10 points is about a tenth of a mile per gallon. So 70 to 150. If somebody, and you wouldn't do this, but if somebody took a new lug tire and put it on their trailer, as opposed to a good trailer tire, they'd lose eight tenths of a mile per gallon. Wow. So whenever we get these phone calls every day about fuel mileage, I say, what's the rolling resistance of your tire? And I get a blank. So we, we need to come back to that and talk more about that. And when the guy goes out to buy a tire, he needs to ask. And if the people selling the tires cannot tell him that, he needs to say, you need to make a phone call and tell me what the rolling resistance of this tire is. Or maybe you can find it on Google now. But so you need well, to know Michelin is the best place to go. Yokohama has a site. Michelin is the best place to go. They test all of the tires on the market, not just their own. They use consistent testing. I've actually been to their test track. They use uh, they use computer simulation in the beginning to get close to a number. And then they go out and do um, roll down testing. I, I actually got to drive on the track and do some roll down testing. So they got a long, long straightaway. You get the truck up to say 70 miles an hour, whatever they pick their top speed at. And when you hit a marker on the track, you throw the truck into neutral and you just let it coast and see how mm-hmm. far it coasts. And you have to do it over and over and over because we're outdoors, we have wind conditions that affect it. So you do it a bunch yeah. of times to get an average. And that tells us, the rolling resistance of those tires. That's the final verification of it. Uh, So Michelin is the place to go. Here's another problem we ran into though. Uh, 
this can get confusing in we have a whole bunch of different tire sizes in the same model of tire and the size affects the rolling resistance. What it comes down to is the contact patch. A, a taller tire, a 24.5, has more contact with the road than a 22.5. A wider tire has more contact with the road than a skinny tire. So when we look at all these sizes now with all the different low pro, you know, 275, ADR, 22.5, that's width and sidewall height. Both of those things affect rolling resistance. Now, Michelin doesn't test every size of tire. They only test one size in each tire. So some tires might have eight different sizes. They're only going to test one of them. And the one they test isn't the same every time. They choose the tire to test by popularity. If they're looking at, say, an XZA3, whatever size sells the most, that's the one they go test. Now, all those other sizes are going to have variations in rolling resistance. So that's an issue people don't understand. But what's really happened in the last couple of years, you can't always get the tire you want anymore. They just don't have them. We have tire shortages. So now it's a matter of, yeah, we have to look at rolling resistance, but you may have to compromise now because the tire you really want, you just can't get. And, uh, you know, this coasting, Several years ago, we were, I think it's when we had people putting in the 264 gears. They said when they go down the same exit ramp, they hit the same exit ramp at the same speed, but now that they're in direct gear, when they come to the stop sign at the end of the exit ramp, they're going X amount of, it was like 20 mile an hour faster because the truck is coasting easier. Do you recall the, some of those statements? The, yeah, I, I know exactly which one I think you're thinking of. The The best story we had about that was the first signature truck. We sold it to the, uh, the guy that had the small fleet in, where was he, somewhere, Idaho? Salt Lake City, I think. Uh, he had like four or five trucks, and he had always run classic Pete's with cats. And he still drove quite a bit himself, and he, all of his trucks basically ran dairy products from Salt Lake City to the Pacific Northwest, like Portland and Seattle. So the truck was coming right by my house a couple times a week. And the, the driver, the owner, had been driving this route for years and years and years. He had this, his stops down. He stopped at the same exits all the time. He said the—and— on the exits, he would just kick it into neutral and let it coast down to a stop. And he had it so his timing was almost perfect with his trucks. He would literally roll to a stop down at the bottom of the exit. He said the first time he did that in the signature truck, he would have blown through that stop sign at about 40 miles an hour. But everything we did on that truck, the engine, the drivetrain, the tires, everything was designed to reduce resistance, resistance in the engine, resistance in the gearboxes, resistance in the tires, um, resistance on air in and out of the engine. If you think about it, a lot of stuff we were doing is to reduce resistance. Right. So when people call in, call us and I'm going to talk a few minutes. It would be nice to know if they knew the rolling resistance of their tires. And this is homework. And a lot of people don't want to do the homework. 
but uh, I asked a guy the other day, he thought he had a 10 direct, he has 411 gears, and I said, no, no, you don't have a 10 direct, you have a 10 over, and he's, no, it's a 10 direct, I said, no then it'd be a 45 mile an hour truck, Right. and so I said, call the truck dealer, and give him your VIN, and find the transmission number, and I gave him the number for Western Truck Parts, call there, and get your gear ratios, and call me back. That was a week and a half ago. No phone call back. And I do this on purpose because I need the person who's making the phone call to us to do a little of the homework themselves because I used to do all that. Well, I don't have time to do all that. So they need to know what they have. So and a lot of people don't. Let me. Uh, so in this case, there, there's two problems here. There's two numbers we don't know. If we can figure out one of them, then we can calculate the other one. But when we have two unknowns, the first thing we have to do is figure out one of them. If you have a transmission you don't know and you can't find the number, especially on older trucks where this equipment has probably been replaced. I'll give you a couple tricks on this. Once we can get down to one unknown, then we can just run it through a calculator and we can figure out the unknown. If we have two unknowns, yeah. the differential is the easiest one to figure out. If, if you have no tag, no information whatsoever, I can get you pretty close. So here's how we do this. Park the truck on a nice, smooth, level surface. Concrete's nice. Um, make a mark right at the center of the bottom of the tire where it's on the ground. Right dead center on that tire where it's touching the ground. Make a line right there. And then tie a string around your drive shaft near the rear pumpkin. And, and it should be heavy enough string that it hangs down nice and straight. Now, roll, oh, you got to make a mark on the tire too where it matches the road. Roll that truck forward until the line comes back down to the bottom. That's one full rotation of the tire. And while you're doing that, somebody watches the drive shaft. And in this case, if he truly had 411 gears, that drive shaft, that string would come back to the bottom four times and just a little bit more. That's the ratio that drive shaft is turning 4.1 times for every time the wheel turns once. On a race car, we used to just jack it up and put a paint mark on the drive shaft and a paint mark on the tire and turn the tire. And yeah, and if you have the ability to jack up the truck and do that, it's easier. Right. Then once we know that he truly had 411 gears, then we could go calculate his final ratio in the transmission. Once we get down to one unknown, we can just calculate it. A lot of us had geometry in high school, right? Algebra one, algebra two. And algebra one was X equals, but you had to have a known. Correct. And so we use that. We use that algebra when we're figuring things out, but we have to have a known. We either have to know the gear ratio or we have to know the transmission, the final drive of the transmission. There you go. Hey, before and I forget this, before I forget this, Eric, you kind of jumped in. Um, we never really got to you. Was there anything you wanted to bring to the table this week? Um, actually, Leroy and I were talking this morning about Shell Gasoline. Uh, they're coming out with their Starship, 
Is that the name of it, Leroy? Yes. Yep. Um, yes, the, the super truck. The 3.0. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The... And, and one thing that struck me was when you were talking about resistance and tires, they use Bridgestone, which I haven't heard the name Bridgestone in quite a while. And I don't know why, but they're using those ones. They're anticipating in the high 12s, maybe low 13s. Um, but they haven't got any definitive numbers yet. They're not going to make the, the final run until this August, what, I believe. What powertrain does it have? Uh, that's the Cummins X15 in that one. The diesel? Yes. No. No? You know what? You caught me off guard there. Oh, uh, I busted. Wait a minute. As far as I know, <laughs> let me jump in here. Um, Starship 1 and 2 were both Cummins. I, have, I haven't looked at 3 yet, so I, I, I assume they're sticking with Cummins. It is a Cummins, but I can't remember if that was a natural gas. I think it is natural gas, yeah. I think that, it must be that new agnostic one. I think it, it, it is. It could be, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually, uh, I've met the guy. The guy that originally started that truck, he built a cab over for fuel economy back in the 70s. He was probably mm-hmm. one of the first people really into heavy truck fuel economy and everybody ignored him back then because fuel was 60 cents a gallon. I mean, who cared? Um, but so then he kind of disappeared for a while and then he came back with that that big project, which was 2.0. Um, they did some pretty radical stuff to that truck. And honestly, the fuel economy wasn't nearly as impressive as I thought it should be. Um, you know, we had people like Joel and Henry and um, Jamie and and all kinds of people I could name that that were doing almost as good on a truck that worked every day. And this thing was pretty radical. I mean, it had really low fairings. You would have torn this thing up trying to deliver general freight with it. But that was a uh, that that was a big project. Cummins was a big part of it. Shell became a big part of it. Um, I met the guy. He's brilliant when it comes to this stuff, but his projects, he find this one finally turned into a big project, but um, for a long time, it was like the guy just couldn't get any traction anywhere, even though his stuff was, was really good. I learned a lot from him um, way back when. So I'll, uh, I haven't gone to look at 3.0 yet. I plan on doing that soon. Well, the thing that's... Kevin, I remember that cab over and I remember how he would... Um, tape ribbons to it and things like that Yeah, to, to watch it, to see what the airflow was doing. The, the thing that kind of struck me odd when I was reading up on that a little bit, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but was the, the choice of fuel, the CNG. Now, to my knowledge, you have to have EGR and DPF, but I don't think you have to have urea on that. Could this be something that was maybe geared more towards California? Possibly. Or, you know, Here, maybe some- Here's the problem we're running into on these alternative fuels. If they run this truck on CNG and people aren't going to understand this, it will look like a horrible failure. You're, you can't get the same yeah. kind of fuel economy out of CNG as you can out of diesel. It doesn't have near the energy. You just look at the BTU level. It, it's, it's, that's the problem. So you're, you're never... If I build the most efficient truck possible and run it on diesel, then build the exact same truck, all the same efficiencies, but I run it on CNG, I'm, I'm going to get less fuel economy. It's physics again. There's just not as much energy in a gallon. Nope. And our local Peterbilt dealership built a glider. That's probably about five, six, seven years ago. Had it on the lot for sale, and it was a Cummins ISX with CNG. 
and nobody really paid attention to it. And they converted it back over to diesel. And I think it was sold before it was even finished or <laughs> got out. And one, a guy I personally know has a local fleet here, bought it. Um, but it's just how that never traction was always kind of puzzling to me. And now we're looking at uh, different alternatives every single day. Yeah, and none of them have the same energy level. We just have to realize that. Natural gas, propane, hydrogen, all of these alternative fuels. Um, I, I think it might have been Shell. I read an article about this morning. They're doing a test with Toyota right now, and the the fuel that they're testing, 50% of the fuel is renewable. So that's probably something like biomass, algae-based, where they grow the fuel. Uh, they're up to about 50% of, of fuel now can be renewable and they're testing it. Every time we get one of those fuels in trucking, it creates all kinds of problems. My grandfather, he, he, well, he would have been 101 this year, but he owned a couple different trucking companies, ran a lot of international cab overs, big cam, small cam stuff. And I remember I had him until he was 93. So I had a, a really good lifespan with him. But I remember telling him some stuff probably right after I started here, like different technologies and different ideas that came out. What was going now? I remember him just looking at me like a totally puzzled look like I was talking some different language. And, and I, remember, I remember talking, and he just said, I can't what I've seen in my lifetime in the advancements of the engine and just in, in science and, and trucking in general. It's amazing. Even in the past 10 to 15 years, oh, what, yeah. what we've overcome and forward with. It's just astonishing to me. I can't wait to see what happens in the next 15 years. Yeah. Eric, well, you, know, you have something you want to talk about? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say the, the first example we had of this, um, the fuel, the, how much energy was in the fuel. When I first started driving, it was really common to be able to use number one diesel in the wintertime. And it was better in the winter as far as not freezing up. Truck was a little easier starting. But number one diesel has less energy than number two does. It, it's more refined and we end up with less BTUs. You got worse fuel economy on, uh, on number one diesel instead of number two. And nobody knew that because nobody was tracking their fuel mileage. Yeah, it's crazy. Eric, didn't you have something you wanted to talk about on the X-15? Uh, just about the carbon-packed ring. That was, but we touched briefly about it last week too, but the polishing okay. up. All right. uh, Okay. But they do have uh, a couple little things. A lot of people, I get a lot of phone calls too. I, I do want to touch on this now you bring it up. Um, a lot of people call me and say, you know, I got an ISX. Oh, wait, no, it's an X. You know what? I don't, what year's a truck? And they get confused. And then they, the next question is, what's the differences? You know, are they the same? In a nutshell, yes and no. There's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences too. Um, basically the X 15 was a more versatile engine for power and performance. It's the most powerful power plant that, uh, Cummins ever designed. Um, the big thing would be the little details in the emissions and the electronics, the advancements they have there with telemetry, tele, I'm going to ask Leroy my help on this guy. I always get this word wrong. Telemetry. Telemetry. Thank you. <laughs> Modern electronics kind of scare me into the words. But they they actually consolidated their after treatment. And I just had a guy this week that read a Cummins bulletin online and he called me to get clarification. And he said, do they have a one box? And I said, no, they don't have a one box. He said, well, I'm looking on whatever page it was. And he said, they're telling me it's a one system. So I, I pulled it up on my computer and the way that they were, it kind of was a little bit misleading. 
it's not a one box, but it is a consolidated after treatment system. And it's one thing I do really like about that is if one part is bad, you can change it. It's not a whole system and it's a little bit less expensive. Well, it's a lot less expensive actually, but they do kind of consider it to be a smaller consolidated unit. And by using the word unit, some people, I guess, would automatically consider that to be one piece. And they are still separate pieces, easily serviceable, easily cleaned, but like the DPF alternative methods and stuff. It's just a, it's a I, I think it's a better design. But the that's one of the common things I get about the X15 is what are the big differences? And there's, in, in the short end of it, there's a lot of little things, but not anything major to be concerned about. But they are a great engine. Absolutely. Hey, I was uh, I was reading something and typing. Um, I want to throw this out there because this is something I've been talking about for a while. We've got some good hard numbers right now. Um, how many times in the last year have you heard me tell people don't buy a truck? These prices are insane. The minute you buy it, you're stuck with it. You can never get that money back. If you don't have to buy a truck, don't buy one. I think I even talked to one guy and told him to go rent a truck for a while. Cause he just had to have one, his broke down, something happened. And I said, I'd go rent one. I, I really would. I would wait. I did that once. I rented a truck for almost six months waiting for my build to finally come in. Listen to these numbers. If I told you four five, six, eight months ago to hold off buying a truck, um, you should thank me. Listen to this. Three-year-old truck prices have fallen $55,000 since their peak a year ago. A $140,000 truck last year is now $85,000. Wow. So if we look at, you know, most people buying those $140,000 trucks when I was telling them not to, they were using five-year loans. The interest rate was roughly about 6% if you had really good credit. That truck now is at least $30,000 upside down. If somebody that bought one of those trucks right now has it stolen or it's wrecked and totaled or catches on fire and it's totaled, they will be taking $30,000 out of their pocket to pay it off because insurance won't do it. Wow. Insurance is going to pay today's value, not what you paid for it. Here's the other screwy they thing. Forget? Here's the other screwy thing. So here's another place owner operators can save money. You buy the truck. When you go to the insurance company, they ask for a value. The value is always what you paid for it right then. Your insurance rate is based on the value. It's a percentage. It's, it's so much money for every $1,000 of value on the truck. So every time the price of the truck goes up by $1,000, your insurance cost goes up. But wait a minute. I bought the truck two years ago. Why am I still paying on $140,000 worth of value when the truck in the real world is worth only eighty five, dollars and that's all you're going to give me? But they will keep taking that premium from you. You should go back to them every year and revalue your truck and your insurance rates will go down. And nobody does that, especially now when we have this huge drop in value in just 12 months. Go back and redo your insurance. Do they offer gap insurance? They don't. Not that, Well, I shouldn't say that. I, I'm sure if I called enough insurance companies, I could probably get somebody to write a policy. I've never seen one, though. For anybody that doesn't know what that is, because some people, I've mentioned that term before, and they just kind of looked at me like, huh? Um, I used to sell motorcycles, and a lot of their values were very volatile. 
same thing, up and down everywhere. And, and when I sold them was right around, especially when Harley Davidson really took a, a platform taken off uh, early 2000s, mid 2000s. But the gap insurance is just an insurance policy you can take out to protect your upside down. If right. you owe more than what it's worth, this will protect you in case you get an accident, theft, fire, whatever. Yep. Um, where gap insurance is very, very common. Um, it, it does occur in vehicles and boats and some other things where it's really common as homes and where it's actually mandatory in some cases. So let's say you uh, are, are VA and you can get a zero down home loan. Typically, you need 20 percent down. That's what the bank wants. But if I'm VA, I can get a zero down mortgage. And now, though, I have to go I have to go get gap insurance to cover that 20 percent or the bank won't write the mortgage. We just don't see it all that often in vehicles, but it does exist. I've never seen a single gap policy written on a truck. They should be, though. If you are upside down and you don't have the cash to cover that, you better go get gap insurance if you can find it. I can't believe those prices. 55000 Let's think about this. The price of a three-year-old truck came down by $55,000. It wasn't that long ago. I could buy three-year-old trucks for $55,000. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, we knew it was coming. Uh, it's here. All right. Let's do this. Let's get to some phone calls. Great topics today. We've been all over the board, but uh, calls are starting to pile up. So let's get started in mass today. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, guys, I have two questions. The first one, the main one is regarding my transmission. I have a 2019 Cascadia. Um, so Leroy, I spoke to you earlier this year at the beginning of the year, and you had a case where it was the range control valve when the gear six, seven, eight would go in and out of neutral on the up and the downshift. So my truck was in the shop at that time when I had called and asked you that, and they were still doing, you know, Detroit's protocols that they do. And they hadn't got to the point where they were going to replace the transmission when I spoke to you. So, but shortly after that, they decided to go ahead and replace the transmission under warranty. So I got a brand new transmission and a clutch too. Cool. So, I've had, the, I've had the truck back for two months, and last week, the exact same problem just started. And I, I called them, and I, I had already planned to go into the shop in the next uh, month, month and a half, for some other stuff, PM, et cetera, all that crap. And, um, but, you know, whenever they decided to replace the transmission, I'm like, okay, cool. All my problems are, 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 should be good to go. New transmission, great. It's got half a million miles on it. And... Uh, now I'm just like, are you kidding me? I mean, what else could this be? I mean, I'm assuming I'm not a mechanic, but I'm assuming that things like a range control valve, other things that would have all been new, right? Or is that not part of? Well, I mean, I mean you get a new kind of, it's sort of yes, like it automatic. Yes. I, I, to me, I mean, I don't know exactly what to replace, but it sounds sort of similar if you have a blown up engine and you get like a short block or a long block. You know, it doesn't replace everything. You know, if you still had a bad turbo, yeah. then you have a bad one. I don't know if they've replaced right. all of the little bits and pieces um, or they just replaced the main transmission part. I, I don't know that. But I mean, yeah, the okay. no. is, is there. I mean, it's all a self-contained unit, the transmission controller and all of its actuators and solenoids and things like that are all contained down there. I mean, it's not like right. a problem 
ECM or from the, um, the tab or anything like that, it all has to be there. So they've either not replaced everything is it, pretty much what I think it would have to be. Yeah. I, I can't. Well, I mean, it happens. No, I, I mean, common sense that that's, I'm right there with you. I, I mean, I, but it's, it is really frustrating. And then, um, the, um, Kevin, this is off the topic, but I, I didn't want to ask you this. Are you still using us wellness meats and Carter country meats? Um, a little bit. I don't use Carter country as much as I used to mostly because I, they're, they're buying model where you have to buy their packages where I, I can't just pick and choose what I want. Um, I love their meat. Some yeah, of the best exactly. beef I've, I've had. So do I. I, I just wish they would allow me because when I get those packages, there's a bunch of cuts in there. I just don't like, and I, I've got to figure out ways to use yep. them. And so I don't use them as much as I used to. Um, U.S. wellness meats I I'm use right. just because of their variety, but I've been right. um, I've been buying the majority of my beef and pork from Heritage just because of the quality. It is just the best tasting, both beef and pork. Um, and I get a lot of my chicken now from Azure because I order from them every week anyway. So those are really uh, my kind of go-tos right now on what's meat. The, what's the, how do you spell that? How do you spell that? Azure? Azure. A-Z-U-R-E. So let me just talk about Azure for a minute. Um, They're right here in the gorge, uh, about 40 minutes away from us. We've had the owner and founder on the show several times. Um, They started out as one of the early, early regenerative farms before anybody even knew what regenerative farming was. And they started delivering their products. Then they got some neighbors' farms together and started delivering their products. Now Azure is the largest distributor of organic and natural foods in the country. They're huge and nobody knows of them. They'll deliver right to your house where they deliver to drop spots. Like I have a store 20 minutes away that when I order from Azure, they drop it off there today. I actually go pick it up today. Um, I put the order in on the weekend. They oh, I have think, got, I, it's like Amazon for food. It is just incredible the the natural food products they have. So, it, and they also do meat. I've tried some of their beef. Um, it's, it's much more local. So I, I really wanted to go local. The problem with beef is if you raise a beef on grass, a cow on grass, and it's always lush green grass. When that cow's growing, that's exactly what you want. When you're starting to finish that cow, mm-hmm. the cow will taste much, much better if it starts eating actually worse food for it. it not, not garbage, but like drier grasses and that kind of stuff. It will actually get more marbling and it will taste a lot better. These, you know, cows that are raised mm-hmm. purely on green grass They'll be very, very lean, and they tend to get gamey. I, I don't mind the gamey taste. I just don't like, it's just too lean for me. Um, but they're chicken. They, yeah. They've got um, awesome chicken. So uh, most of my chicken's coming from Azura. I'm going to try that for the chicken. What's that? I'm going to try that because I've been looking for um, another place. Because U.S. Wellness, I mean, they've been out of chicken a lot. And their prices are, I mean, I, I know chicken has really gone up, but I mean, I've been buying from those two places uh, because of you, Kevin. I heard you talk about them a couple of years back. And so you started buying from those two places, but you're right. 
uh, and I, I've emailed Rain over at Carter Country Meat several times, and we spoke via email because I've bought a lot over the years from him. And I, I told him, I asked, I, I mentioned recently, I said, look, you know, he used to have a lot more variety. You could buy individual cuts. And I said, why are you not like that anymore? And I said, it's frustrating because I really like your meat, but I said, you know, you send us cuts that, you know, we're not really, we don't really want. And I want to just be able to have more choice. And so I'm right there with you, Kevin, on that one. That's exactly why. I, I mean, what I felt about Carter recently, you know, but um, the last thing I want to ask you is, have you ever heard of Alder Springs Ranch out of Idaho? And if so, have you tried their meat yet? I don't think I have. There are a couple that I've looked at in Idaho, but that one doesn't sound familiar. I, I came across them recently, and I, uh, good story. I mean, the family story that they have is quite interesting, but I, I mean, they're pricey. Not, they're not heritage pricey, but uh, they're a little more than a U.S. wellness kind of price. But I don't know, it looks interesting. And they have, um, so, okay, well, yeah, the, I'll try the, that as their place. I'll check that out. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I will say that heritage foods just be prepared for sticker shock. It's, it's really we, we, I tried it once. We ordered the, um, I know, we ordered the corned beef for St. Patty's Day. And you're right. That is some amazing meat. But it is so pricey. And I, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's going to be, for me, it's, for, for my budget, it's going to be one of those, like, special occasion kind of things that we order meat from them. And I can't, I can't afford that on a regular basis. Now, I will but, tell you this. Their prices are high. They are very, very generous with their gifts and bonuses. The more you buy, the more you get kind of stuff. I just mentioned this the other day. I just mm -hmm. hit my 50th order with them. So every five orders, you get a gift. Then 10 orders, you get a bigger gift. Then 15. And, and they have a whole list of stuff. And I, pretty cool stuff, too. So this time, I get a box in the mail from Heritage. And I'm like, I don't remember ordering anything. I open it up. The first thing I see on the top of the box, a $250 gift certificate. That was for my 50th order. Wow. Three big Kulat wow. cool steaks. And Kulat cool steaks are really rare. It's kind of a weird cut, but it's a really, it's an amazing cut. Three of them, and they were all over a mm -hmm. pound each. They were like a 1.3, 1.4 pounds. I got three steaks. I got a package of really nice um handcrafted prosciutto, which was incredible. There was a package of wow. uh, pork tenderloin scraps in there. I have a dish I make out of that because they send me that on every order. I, it, the whole box was free. So yeah, I spend a lot every the time I order. Thing was they're, free? they're pretty generous with their gifts. That is Zur. Did, did, did you say that it was um, only local pickup or did they ship? Oh no, they ship. Okay, good. Okay, cool. All right, well, that's all I got. Thank you guys for your help, and I appreciate over the years listening to you and learning a lot of things. So thank you so much. You guys take care. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Tennessee this time. Billy, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How y'all doing this morning? Good. What can we help you with? Well, I just wanted to call and comment. Uh, uh, Bruce and, and, and the guys up at Pittsburgh, they tuned my truck a couple of years ago, and uh, I didn't see any loss in fuel mileage. Uh, I, I didn't really see a significant gain, but the the money was well spent because it's a lot more fun to drive now. And also, when Bruce started talking about a while back about watching your boost gauge, 
that made a lot of difference in my fuel mileage because I used to would just set the cruise at 62 or 58 or depending on my schedule how how slow I could go. But you would be surprised at the smallest grades how much that boost pressure goes up. Just even running empty, I mean it's it's amazing how how much it will shoot up. Or if you can back off of it a little bit, and 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 that helped my fuel mileage more than than anything else. And the catalyst, I wanted to mention that I've been using it now uh, faithfully for a couple of years, and uh, I I think I've had one sensor go out, but it's had a lot of miles on it. You know, it's probably general, uh, or you know, it's just probably time for it too. But I haven't had any, I haven't had any trouble. I don't I don't run this truck without catalyst. And uh, I was also just want to tell you guys that I am certainly proud that y'all don't charge for the amount of knowledge that y'all put out here, what it's worth, because I couldn't afford to pay it. <laughs> we, appreciate Thank you. we appreciate that. And, you know, you said the, the important thing to me, uh, the tune made the truck fun to drive. And if yeah. I don't enjoy driving what I'm driving, I don't want to drive it. I, right. I want it to put a smile on my face, and I want to be happy with that vehicle. I don't care if it's got two wheels, four wheels, or 18 wheels, or if it goes across the water. I want to be happy with it, and if I'm not happy with it, then I don't want it. Exactly. So, yeah, it makes, you, it makes you look forward to, to going to work every day. That's exactly right. Yes, sir. Um, and uh, there was a also, new, I, go ahead. new, the Kenworth, the one with the the ultra-wide hood with the chrome air filter inlets on the side. And it had the new X-15. This was a year or two ago. And this was a triaxle dump truck in the Washington, D.C. area. And I, I was there and had my tune kit, and we put a tune on it. And all we did, it, it was a company truck. All we did was take the babysitters out. We didn't add horsepower or torque. We just made it so it would be responsive when you pushed on the throttle. And it took right. it from being a no fun to drive to a, a fun truck to drive. Sure. And the driver Absolutely. loves it. So. Yeah. Well, once once I left Pittsburgh back in December, uh, I guess it was in 21, uh, no, probably 20. But anyway, it, it was, uh, uh, if I hadn't known better, I would have thought I was in a different truck, that's for sure. Yeah. And um uh, also, I want to throw in one thing, and I'm I'm about to get off here. I just pulled up to my receiver, but um, I want to say something about the. You talking about the rolling resistance on the tires? My brother-in-law and I, we're in kind of a competition. We do the same thing on a daily basis, and we're in kind of competition on fuel mileage. But anyway, uh, he found some tires recently. He had to have some new drive tires, and he looked on the internet. He found some he kind of liked, and. Uh, but he couldn't find the rolling resistance, so he was willing to take a chance. And his fuel mileage dropped drastically so much that he ran them for two weeks, and he went and sold them and bought some more that he knew more good about. For him. So, G- good for yeah. him. Good for him. Good for. So you I, see what you you said you you said something else there. You ha- you're in competition with him, and competition's good. And if yes. you took three or four guys, or if you had a small fleet, let's say you have five or six trucks, and if you paid a bonus for the guy that gets the best fuel mileage for that month, 
and you listed it and you put it right in the driver's room. Who got the best fuel mileage? What he got and who got the worst? If you're the guy that gets the worst, you should be embarrassed. And you say, man, I got to bring that up. I'm going to pay attention right. to this boots two, cage. Two, two things. Exactly. Two, two things. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here. First, I've told people, if you don't know the rolling resistance, don't buy the tire. I, I've, just, I've said that many times. Right. He went and bought it. Good for him that he tried something, tracked the numbers, and quickly mm-hmm. decided that was a bad idea. Let me fix this. And he did. So kudos to him. That's how we learn stuff. Um, I like people who are willing to take a chance, even doing something I said you shouldn't do. I've done all that stuff. That's how I learn. So kudos to him. Bruce, you just touched on something that I could write a thesis on. I would venture to to say, I'm going to say that most of the problems we're facing in our country today can be brought back to the fact that we have tried to kill competition everywhere. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets passed in school. That whole mentality of competition is bad and we should, it is destroying our country. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. I heard that there was a basketball game, and but there was no hoops. They just dribbled up and down the court. No way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> What's the purpose? I, I haven't heard I, that I read one. this now, somewhere. I, <laughs> yeah, it was in one of those motivational things about, and it was about competition. For years, I coached, yeah. you know, youth right. sports, both soccer and wrestling. And... The funny thing about soccer was all I, I actually had to go find a very competitive league to play in because I was sick of playing in the league where they didn't want to keep score and everybody had to play a certain percentage of the game no matter what. So I we we moved up to a really, really competitive league and got our ass kicked for an entire year. I mean, some of the games were embarrassing. We got beat so bad. But I'll tell you what, we were a whole lot better at the end of that year. So uh, I'm glad we did. The, all the games where they didn't keep score, the kids know what the score is. Absolutely, they know what the score is. Now, the, the thing I liked about wrestling, there's no hiding there. You walk out on the mat, you either win or lose, and it's all you. You, you either take the glory for the win or you take the loss, and you can't blame it on anybody else, and everybody knows who won. Yep. Sure. Well, okay, guys, I'm going to jump off here. Thank, thanks for all you do, and um, and uh, I appreciate it. We'll be talking later. All right. If we keep this up, we're going to have to rename this to the Philosophy Hour or something. Philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Kevin. Yeah. I'm going to be bringing a guy on the show in the next couple weeks. He is an engineer for the U.S. Army on helicopters, electrical engineer. Really? Uh, he's going to talk about the Army wants to go to electric tanks and electric helicopters. How stupid. That may be the dumbest <laughs> idea I've ever heard. Well, that's right now he's in San Diego, but he's work, he works in D.C. I just met him last Sunday, and he did 10 years with an electrical engineer with, Bo- with Boeing, so he's a pretty sharp guy. And I just wanted to mention that, uh, with your permission, I'm going to bring him on the show. Sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think everybody knows I'm kind of a big fan of electric vehicles. I think there's a lot of potential there, but we couldn't screw it up anymore. 
and, and this kind of stupid stuff. I don't know that electric would ever belong on the battlefield. He had to go to a meeting up in Jersey from D.C., and they went in a new Tesla, and it wouldn't go up and back. They had to stop at Wawa. Wawa's a chain store that sells food, and they have some charging stations. He said, we sat there and, and ate our sandwich for an hour while we charged the car so we could get home. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're not he, there he yet, and good, they're making a mess of what could good be. Storage. Uh, there's no reason we can't have both electric and internal combustion engine vehicles. But but the, right. the government right. is just trying to wipe out internal combustion completely. <clears throat> and then the other thing that's just making me crazy, and I just saw another article this morning, um, the EPA or some government agency just gave a bunch of money um, to build out charging stations. It, that's bullshit. That, that's our money. It, that should not be used for that. These companies that want to build out electric vehicles and electric charging stations should do this on their own, not with our money. Mm-hmm. Hey, did you see what, of working Americans, what our national debt per person is? I saw it this morning. No, I didn't see that. What is it now? 247000 we each owe the government for the, the national debt. Oh. <laughs> of working Americans, working Americans. Wow, so, unbelievable. Well, whole other subject, but I, if if the government needs to keep raising the debt, why do they keep giving money away? That's, I, don't, I don't understand these people with all this education, these degrees in law that are running this country. Why can't they figure that out? You don't give money away if you don't have it. Because there's an alternative motive here somewhere. Yep. They're not that stupid. They're not. Okay. They know what they're doing. Well, I don't know. All right. Let's grab, a, let's grab another call. Let's go to Oklahoma. Howdy. Howdy. Um, I have a tune in my truck. It's a ISX. Uh, Pittsburgh powered on it. Built it. Everything. Most people know that. Hang on, let me take my glasses on because I've got numbers. So, 45,022 miles this year, 565 horsepower at the back wheels. It was a, It's an ISX 600 from the factory. Uh, average miles per gallon for 90 days is 5.44. Wait a second now. Do they know you haul 10 cars on an open trailer? Yeah, that too. Open rack car carrier, ugly aerodynamics, even when it's empty. Steve Crone will tell you that. So, yeah. So, um, 11 fuel, oh no, 13 fuel ups below five miles to the gallon, 11 fuel ups above six miles to the gallon, and one fuel up <coughs> empty at 7.25 miles to the gallon. And it's pretty fun to drive. Yep. Sure. And it's um, always very well loaded. Yeah. Occasionally I might be a little bit fat, but you, <laughs> I, I purposely put an extra vehicle on on my Mercedes load going from Georgia to uh, Houston area. I knew it. He said, I can give you eight, be legal. I said, give me nine. I want the extra money. So 
I bought myself a because it says on the paperwork in Florida that they give you at the way station, Florida Commercial Vehicle Division Citation slash Permit. So when I crossed the scale, I was eighty two thousand seven hundred pounds. Cost me one hundred thirty five for the permit, oh, and then seven dollars extra when I paid it with a credit card. But I collected an extra five hundred dollars in revenue to go across there, so it was worth it to me. Yeah, so, yeah. You got to run the numbers because the thing about Florida, if you're over eighty, they'll give you a ticket. But as long as you're under eighty five thousand. They'll let you keep going. If you're over eighty five thousand, you gotta get legal. If you're under eighty five, it's like you're a little bit heavy. And they're real friendly to deal with and easy to pay it within fifteen days and carry on trucking. And if you get to another way station in Florida and they pull you in there and weigh you, they'll come out. If you bought a permit and you show it and they look at it and they have a nice day. As long as you're on that same load, you only pay once. So yeah. That's nice to know. Um so the X-15, a lot of the Kenworths that they stick that in that are built in Aussie that go to New Zealand and Australia, when they leave the factory, because over here they rated at 605 horsepower, over there they rated at 630. Same engine. Hmm. Most of the trucks you see, they're either 620 or 630 from the factory. I don't know why, though. I guess they do something hmm. a little bit different. Hmm. Yeah. So, do you know anything about the, the ones going to South America? I don't, know. I don't know. I'm like Schultz on that one. I know nothing. I know they. But I know a couple of years ago they had no emissions on them. Okay. Yeah, because New Zealand and Aussie they do all the DEF, and you see people over there. Oh, delete that because they call it Ad Blue. Oh, delete all that crap. So they've not caught on yet, but give it time. So you need to. You need to get them. Paul, you need to get the max mileage catalyst over there and be the distributor. Boy, it'd be be nine hundred dollars a gallon over there, Tom. The, the shipping and <laughs> be expensive. No one would want to buy it. <laughs> yeah. The the cost of trucking over there is outrageous. A guy I was talking to the other day. He's over here, but his brother owns a truck in New Zealand. He spent about because when you buy your diesel fuel at the pump, there's no tax on it. So he spent about seventy thousand. I'm not sure how many kilometres he did. When you buy your diesel, there's no tax. So he spent about $70,000 on diesel fuel for 12 months. And then for the road tax, he's running a logger, so he's probably running eight or nine axles on the ground. But he piggybacks his trailer when he's empty. He spent about $70,000 in road user tax. So he had 140 for diesel and road user, which is a lot of money. Wow. So yeah, crazy. So, and uh, I don't, I sort of consider that I do pay for my knowledge that I acquire from this show and many others because I buy products from the people that share their knowledge. We all appreciate that. Yes, we do. Yeah, so, Thanks, Paul. I've, I've, not, I've not kept a tally on it, how much I've spent at Pittsburgh Power, but... Since 2009, I've had a C16 Caterpillar rebuilt and an ISX15 rebuilt and go there every year. But I'll guarantee I've spent over 100 grand in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania since 2009. That would not be a problem. So, 
but I'm quite. I'll be coming back up there next year because the results are well worth it. So. Excellent. Ooh. All right. We are going to move right, along carry on. because Thanks. the calls are piling up on us. We're going to head off to Indiana. Lyle, welcome to the program. Lyle? Lyle, I have a message here from my call. Well, actually, it's from Lisa. It says, I'm getting frantic messages from Lyle. I have a picture here of, it's kind of hard to tell what I'm looking It's the head of an ISX, I think. And it's supposed to be about an oil leak, but I'm not sure I see any oil in the picture. Hold on a second. Let me blow this up. Where's the oil? Hello? Scroll up. Oh, hey, Lyle, are you there? Yes, yes. So... I've got a picture here. Oh, are you? Is this picture just for the information on the engine, or am I supposed to be able to see an oil leak here? No, that, that the oil leak is what I wanted you to see. I just wanted to be sure you knew what engine it was. Got it. Okay. I just thought that'd be helpful to oh, know. Oh, absolutely. Jeez, if everybody sent me a picture of their their engine information tag before they asked a question, that would be awesome. Um, so, tell us about the leak then. The leak. Believe it or not, I had an in-frame done on my engine in May of two years ago and then uh, put a piston through the block. I was having the same problem with that engine at the same exact area, and I thought, well, we'll get this new engine and put that in. We should not have that trouble anymore. Well, lo and behold, I do. Somebody told me that those two bolts, the one that holds the oil tube filler and the bolt that's right below it in the upper cover, are oil-fed holes and that they need to be cleaned, you know, with carburetor cleaner, whatever, blown out, and then put silicone in them and put the bolt in, and that should stop it. I've tried that. That didn't work. We pull off the top cover, reseal, new gasket. That didn't work. I don't understand why it's doing that. Uh, in that, it's a new engine. There's very little blow-by, obviously. With a new, It's got 100000 on it about that since I put that new engine in, which was rebuilt from scratch. Uh, with the original serial number, et cetera, et cetera, and everything else. Totally new head, new block, new pistons, all put in and just sent and put into the truck with the uh, accessories added after it got there. Eric, have I you seen that in our shop? It doesn't ring a bell. I uh, can't see that I have. Um, and a Caterpillar send me... Go ahead, Bruce. And then the Caterpillar had that one stud, and John Walco took a stud, put it in our one of our milling machines and cut an O-ring groove, put an O-ring in it, and it fixed that oil leak. But I have never heard of one on an ISX or an X-15. I wonder if this, we could do the same thing, cut a groove in and put an O-ring on it and put it in. Hey, Bruce, I just sent you the pictures. Yeah, we I definitely did them to you. Uh, just for information, my 90-day wow. average on this engine hauling oversize at least 50% of the time, I think it's 6.2, and I'm usually running it at 700 horse. I've got the power box on, the push exhaust, and uh, and Bruce may or may not remember this, but when we put the balancer on the crankshaft originally back in 2012, um, he said, they say these engines won't run smooth. And it was sitting there purring, and it sure sounded good. Still does, even with a new hey, engine. But I put the balancer back on. Also, Leroy, you should have those pictures in your email. I'm included. 6.3, 90-day average. 
So, I'm 12 foot wide at the moment. So anybody have any thoughts? I'm not aerodynamic either. Just like the last one. Is, uh, what Kevin, did you email those to me? I texted them to you, Bruce. One other engine that Leroy could be thinking about it that just came up recently, this is a Volvo truck. I've got the scan gauge, and my gauges, every gauge, every electrical gauge, not including the air, of course, it's, it's um, direct to air. I'm losing all my data, my speedometer, my um, RPM meter, all that just goes clear day. It goes to zero, and then it'll pop back up, and it's doing this cycling all the time. However, on the scan gauge, it's not doing it. It's keeping the information. So that the scan gauge is not going blank, but my whole dash is intermittently. The odometer quits, and the speedometer, and the RPM meter, all that. And then it comes back on. Yeah, it sounds like it's probably something with the cluster. I mean, it's either it's either the cluster has an issue or the data link wiring to the cluster um, has an issue. Okay. I did get the pictures. <clears throat> so it's that bolt that holds that brace? The, the one that holds the brace, and then the, there's a bolt right below it on the upper cover, and it's hard to tell which one is leaking. I mean, it... It seems to be coming from in between or around the bolt hole. It's hard to tell exactly where it's coming from, but it doesn't make sense logically to me that it would come from the lower cover and leak up as opposed to leaking down from the gearbox cover. Pressure wash it, and while it's still wet, spray it with talcum powder or baby powder, and if that dries on there, and then drive it about 100 miles, tilt the hood and look. And the powder collects the oil, so you get to see where it's coming from. Okay. Baby powder. Mm -hmm. Baby powder, talcum powder. While the okay. engine's still wet, just put it on that area. Just be careful. That stuff causes okay. cancer. Yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> I, I, I like do sort of remember, I think, there's a, I think there was a service bulletin about the lower front cover, wasn't there? I don't know if it's the same place, but. That's usually on. Now, what year's your engine, Lyle? It's a '99. However, it was built a year ago. Okay, so it's a signature 600, or is it an N14? Yes. No, it's, it's, no, it's a, a signature. Okay, 570. Those ones mainly had. Okay, yeah, the one I think you're thinking of, Leroy, was on the front structure housing. They had that metal uh, inspection cover on the lower right or left corner if you're in a driver's seat. Oh, is that what it was? And it would vibrate over time. It would actually like wear a groove into aluminum housing. We, we changed a lot of housings over the years from that. That was a tech service bulletin because they had an updated metal cover for that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I think if it is an oil-fed hole, I would do the walkout trick. I would put a stud in there and then put a nut on the end to hold that bracket and put an O-ring on it. Put an O-ring on the bolt that holds the bracket? Put an O-ring, put a stud in there instead of a bolt. And oh, okay. on the stud, we cut a, you cut a groove and a lathe, put an O-ring on it, and then turn that in, and then you'll have the stud part sticking out, and then you'll put a nut on a washer on there to hold that bracket. I see. Okay. I can try that. On this engine, since I have the power box, does it make any sense to program the ECM for fuel mileage, and then whatever power I would need, I could get from my power box? 
You know, the the way the power box takes the signal from the ECM. So if there's some garbage coming out of the ECM, the power box is trying to work with that. So you're better off to make sure that you have a good program in the ECM. So I'd have Leroy or JR look at it and let them know you have a power box. Okay. The other code that is stolen that doesn't make sense is like, it's called uh, 184. When I looked it up, it says it's a automatic transmission code, but it's killing my engine. Well, it doesn't make sense because I've got an 18-speed in this truck. Why would it be throwing a code for an automatic transmission for shifting? Was the ECM ever replaced? Not to my knowledge. Not since I've had hmm. it. That, it. Yes, it was. It was replaced at 600,000 uh, for, I have no idea, that was before I got it. I bought it when it had right at a million on it. It's either been reprogrammed to like an automated file or the option for the transmission has been set that way. That's the only way you get that code. Most of the time it's because the file's wrong. But So I'll probably need to have the DCM looked at. Yeah, I would have a check down. Sounds like something. And you've got some remote tuners that I could find somewhere? Uh, yeah, where are you, uh, where are you at in the country? I live in Oklahoma. I'll see if I can find one for you real quick. I don't have them memorized. I think Eric does. Sure. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma, so you buck a lot of wind. Yes, I do. A lot of wind. I spent a week out there in Yukon, Oklahoma, and the wind never quit. We were trying to play golf. My brother was assistant golf pro there. And I said, how do you live in this wind? And, uh, well, you just live. Yeah, we got, so that's what you do. We got three different ones in Oklahoma. They're all good guys. Um, two are sort of in the center near Oklahoma City. And then one is east of there, um, pretty close to the uh, the Arkansas border. Okay, great. Uh, but all, yeah, they're all like around along 40. Okay. Sounds good. How do I get a hold of them or find them or whatever? Uh, you can visit our website, um, or I can give you a, a phone number of one of them or two of them, if you'd like. Okay. Yeah, All right. Which one would you like? The one that's supposed to open city? Yes. Okay. Uh, I got a phone number when you're ready. I'm ready. 405-872-7221. And the company is called Noble Truck and Trailer Repair. Okay. I appreciate it. I did want to say to yeah, Kevin, guys I just really appreciate the wide variety of people from all different parts that he brings to the table in the interviews and like you guys. And, uh, it's just amazing. There's, I'm, I'm kind of like the previous caller. I don't, I couldn't pay for all the information that I've received as a result of the interviews that you do and the people that you bring to the table to help us make it profitable out here on the road. So I appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. We appreciate Thank the you. support. So, thanks for your help, and I'll see if I can put some powder on this thing and figure out exactly where it's leaking and go from there. There you go. All right. Um, okay. Hey, Bruce, I, I was just thinking, remember um, all those years when we'd be in the middle of a conversation like this and we're almost getting to a solution, and then we had to go to a commercial? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it yeah, was, and the good thing about those commercials was it gave us time for a pit stop. 
Yeah, I, I no pit stops here. I go three, three and a half hours without a break. <laughs> but it, it, it's, especially when you're talking about technical stuff like this and you have multiple people, so everybody's got, you know, kind of a different take and everybody jumps in and, you know, it's hard to kind of keep that on track anyway. And then when you go to a break, you just lose all that. You come back and it's like you yeah. restarted again. So um, I, I really like this format. Let's, uh, let's grab some more calls because they keep coming. Melody in Texas, welcome. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm great. What can we help you with today? Well, I have to tell you, I have been a company driver for eight years, and I've been wanting to own my own truck, so I saved and saved and saved for for all those years, and I finally, a month ago, I bought my own truck. Wow. And I'm leased onto a company. Yes. Congratulations. I'm yes, and I've been just I've been running it consistently for the whole time. And I my one of my biggest concerns is keeping the truck maintained and learning about the engine, the components and where things are and how to do little things on the road, such as like change your knock sensor or change an airbag out or an airbag or an uh, airbrake chamber, stuff like that. So what I'm doing, and I, I want to know your opinion on this and your opinion on Penn Foster, um, because I've enrolled in their online classes to become a diesel mechanic and get certified. Well, congratulations. So let me let me say this. Um, I'm familiar with Penn okay. Foster and its programs, and I, they, it seems like a good program. I've never taken any of their courses, so I can't give you a direct recommendation or not. But I'll say this. I don't care if they're the best or perfect or whatever. You're going to learn something. So I'm glad you just jumped in, signed up for something, get started. Um, you could do more after that. I have a feeling you'll probably learn a lot on your own. Bruce, if somebody like this walked into your shop and said, is there somebody who has some time to take me around a truck and just help me with this? Would, would you be able to do that? Uh, yes, but the best thing would be to do the Hawkeye report. Exactly. Get yep. your coveralls on and get on a creeper with Adam. And then uh, that usually takes about two hours. But say I, I want an extra hour and I want Adam to tell me different things about this truck and when I should do this. Adam has been a mechanic his entire working career and he's a very smart man. And that would be three great hours well spent. Hey, Melody, let me let me tell you this. Um, I've been turning wrenches most of my life. Um, started working on little motorcycles when I was about six. By the time I was eight or nine, I was rejetting carburetors. At 12, I was rebuilding engines on my motorcycle. I was a helicopter mechanic and um, I've turned a lot of wrenches. Last year, this time, pretty close, I spent weeks at a time at Pittsburgh Power. I was there every day. I can't tell you how much I learned. I learned a lot just being there in the building with everybody. There's so much knowledge inside that building. It's incredible. I plan on going up there, actually. I have an, an appointment at one of the MD alignment locations up in Fort Worth on the 24th. When I get an alignment done, whether I think it needs it or not, Excellent. because it probably does. 
And then um, I have an oil sample. I'm going to, uh, with the oil sample kit, the five pack, and I'm going to do an oil sample and send it. Hey, Melody, I have another idea for you. And then after, what? So, yes, you should still take your truck to the MD alignment shop and have them work on it before you go. When was Mm -hmm. your appointment? On the 24th at 8 o'clock. Oh, you have plenty of time. Uh, I'm going to try to sell you I got something. plenty of time. I, I, don't, I don't feel any issues right now, so it's nothing yeah. urgent. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell you something. I want you to go to my store, letstruck.com. I want you to buy Mike Beckett's two books. He has two books on alignment. We have them both in the store. They're really, really well I bought. I bought the one... I bought the one last night about um, alignments for like the common man. I bought that one like just last night along with your monkey, uh, monkey brittle and a bunch of other things. (laughs) Oh, awesome. So here's what I want you to do. Read the book while you're reading it. Be right there with your truck. By the time you get Mm -hmm. to, to MD alignment, you're going to know what might be wrong with your truck and you're going to know exactly how they align it and fix it and you become a better customer then. Yeah, ask, yeah, ask, him, ask him questions. If you don't know what a tie rod end is, ask him what a tie rod, ask him what a kingpin is. Just ask him, ask him to show you and, and they'll take the time to show you. Yeah, I, I want to do that. I want to be in there in the shop and learning hands-on, along with taking my online course and getting my mechanic certification. You know, the, and the, then, our, um, my, the other thing that can hmm? be valuable, um, online is awesome because it's so easy and you have access to so much information. But if you can find a local vocational school that even has like small engine repair and you can do it in person and you and you can work it out with your schedule, go do that. Learning how to turn a wrench on anything will help you turn wrenches on other things. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I figured the online classes and you get like virtual um, in you know, meetings with the, with the instructor virtually. And I could be there, you know, with FaceTime, you know, with my truck, with the instructor as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know it's not the same as being there hands-on, but um, with my schedule, I figured this is the best um, course of action because I can absolutely. take the classes yeah. whenever I want. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But if you ever have a chance and you can do a hands-on, you know, even if it's not on a diesel engine, any kind of hands-on mechanic course, you'll learn something. Right. Hey, whenever uh, you're up, mm-hmm. we're doing the Hawkeye report. Adam's in his garage working on motorcycles about every night. Ask him if you could go home with him. He only lives two miles away and uh, work on those <laughs> motorcycles. He'll teach you things there. Wait, uh, where, where is that? At Pittsburgh Power. Oh, Adam, who Pittsburgh. Does, yeah, Adam, who does the Hawkeye report. And like okay. I said, I'm going to go up there hours. anyway after my I deliver, I um, do my oil sample. I wanted to talk to somebody about that when I do it. And then I wanted to take the truck up there anyway. And then uh, meet with Leroy and let Leroy show you some about the electronics and different things. What kind of truck did you buy? 
It is a 2019 Freightliner Cascadia. Um, It's got a DD-13, 450 horsepower, six-cylinder, 2.8-liter engine. Um, And it's an excellent thing. How many many liter did you say? Six liter. Not right, I'm, I'm sorry, 12.8. 12, 12.8. No? 12, did you say 12.8? Yeah. yeah. That's correct. Yeah, so you have the DD-13. Yeah, yeah. You have the, the DD-13, yeah, I got the which 13. is the I like. Yeah. Okay, good. I guess the phone broke up. I heard a two-liter engine. I thought, whoa. No. <laughs> no, <it's> not. <laughs> I'm sorry. 12.8. But maybe she's driving a Volkswagen. Anyway, no. how old? How old are you? I am forty-five. Oh, you're right age to learn. So you're you're making the right decision. So Adam will be able to teach you a lot, and uh, and so will Leroy. Okay, yeah, that would be great. Um, what I know I need to get done is some of the sensors cleaned. Um, some of the components in the GPS and GPS uh, system clean, like the, the filter and you know the hoses and everything, uh, because I have no idea. Uh, I don't have coveralls, you know, jeans. I, you know what? You're right. I do have coveralls, but they're like for winter time. They're like really thick. That's the only thing I've got. Um, Do you ever see those? I was just in a boat manufacturing place in North Carolina, and every day. You know, they, they deal with a lot of fiberglass. They have those white cloth-type coveralls. And those would be great items to keep in a truck. Um, that way, if they get too dirty, just throw them away. And I don't know where you buy them, but I'm sure Google would tell you. I'm sure Amazon has something like that. I also got my own creeper as well, um, you, you know, that I can keep with me um, because I don't really feel like laying on the ground. <laughs> But uh, I'm sure Leroy would let you change a few sensors and pull sensors out and show you how we clean them. Yeah, I would love to do you that. You okay with that, Leroy? Like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. I, I'd like to go up there and do that. I've already told my dispatcher, I asked him, you know, at some point, like a little bit down the road, can we go up to Pittsburgh, please? So Excellent. Um, okay. But yeah, hey, I'll be sending my oil sample hey, in Melody, pretty soon. So, yes. I, I have a game I play on the air when people call me and they talk about getting started or they have gotten started or they're telling me about a business. I have a game I play. I predict who will succeed and who won't. I'm really accurate at this, too. I've been doing it for years. I'm pretty good. You're going to make it. No doubt in my mind. Thank you. Thank you. And even though I am not running under Landstar. I have some friends that are going, have also bought their truck, and they're going to Landstar. And um, they have been talking to a mentor for four years. They've never been an owner-operator before, but they've been talking to a mentor for four years. And he has agreed to mentor me. I I know several Uh, people at Landstar who run programs like this that actually mentor people. uh, Steven, uh, Steve Wheeler. Oh, yeah. Steve's a great friend. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of figured it was. We, we talk a couple, we talk like several times a week and Excellent. he's, he's well, very, very knowledgeable. Well, well, no wonder why you're doing so good at this. You've got an awesome mentor. I do. I do. Congratulations. 
Thank you. All right. So you're going to MD Alignment. You're going to read the books. You're taking courses. You're going to get to Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. That is just incredible. So the only other thing you've got to do is you've got to call me every week and stay in touch. Okay. Yeah, I I will do that. I'll let you know how it's going. And you're absolutely right. Um, I read somewhere that you were saying, you know, just because it's not broke doesn't mean you don't have to fix it. Like prevention is the most important thing. Um, taking care of the little things. And I want to, you know, take care of all the little things before they become big things. You know, a shop. Are you running the Max Mileage Catalyst? I have no idea. <laughs> uh oh. Okay. Here we go. You need to get the Max Mileage Fuelborne Catalyst in there. It burns 70% more of a certain carbon in the combustion chamber, and we have about 145 dealers throughout North America, so it's easy to get a hold of. It's expensive, but it keeps the engine clean, keeps the emission systems clean, keeps the sensors clean. Uh, Maybe you should call me or Eric after the show and talk to us about it. I I may have missed it. Did you give us your rear end ratios on this truck? Wait, my, my what? Rear end ratios. Probably not. The reason I'm asking is, is no, I have not. When a truck is specced improperly, the catalyst becomes even more important. On this engine and this truck, you should be absolutely be running it. This is one that needs it. If it's specced wrong, it really needs it. So that's something we'll we'll take a look at at some point as well. Excellent. All right. So uh, you are off to an awesome start. We are going to look forward to hearing back from you. We've got to keep moving. The calls keep piling up on us. Let's go to Ohio. Raymond, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. You're kind of uh, quiet. You if I, I, I can bring your volume up here a little bit, but then it's going to make everybody else really loud. I can, I can, I can yell louder. Is that better? That's Is perfect that better? right there. Go ahead. That's better. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh, you want to hear the latest Volvo nightmare? Yes. I am driving it to Florida two weeks ago on the 24th of April. Bob Taming. I get to Lake City, Florida, and the water pump decides to burst the housing. So it cost what? me $1,600 to get it towed a quarter of a mile. Not lying. This guy named All American Eddie there down there in Lake City, he was waiting for me. He really poured it on me. And then they, they deliberated around there. I, I had my homies coming after it. I said, no, we'll just drag it back to Somerset then if you all want to play that this warranty game. Well, about that time of dealership, Somerset calls. So don't do that, Raymond. We'll pay for them to fix it. What, what engine is it? Had, I, it's, a, I, it's the best one Volvo makes, the 13. Uh, turbo compound? I reckon it's supposed to be a, a, a 13 12 combination, 13 uh, with a 12 transmission. The I-12 transmission is the 13-liter Volvo. Yep. Is it a what year? It's 2016. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Kevin, would you like would you like would you like to purchase a Volvo truck? Really no, cheap. Not that one. I've got to sell it. How cheap? Well, th- uh, thank you very much. I appreciate your your help. Brother. You're welcome. Yeah, you're a Volvo, you're a Volvo man. I thought you might want to take it off my hands. It's, it's got a brand new. Uh, hey, 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 my hey. mock balance pulley on now. 
I, I'm glad you said that because we need to remind people of sometimes of things once in a while. You know, if we are talking about a truck, and in, in this case, we we are talking about a Volvo, and when it's spec right and it's driven right, and we're doing all the right stuff, they get incredible fuel economy. Their cost goes down. So when we talk about that, then there are people who will say, "Oh, you should just buy a Volvo truck," but that's not true. You have to buy the Volvo, any truck, it has to be specced at least as good as possible. For example, I'm never touching a pack car engine. No matter how good I spec it, it still doesn't perform the way I want it to. It's just built wrong for me. But if I had to have one, I would want it specced the best way possible. So when I hear people say, oh, you should just buy a Volvo. No, that doesn't work. Whatever truck you're going to buy, we are still in a world. It's not like buying a car where they're all the same. We still get to pick and choose components, gear ratios, transmissions, different models of engines. So, I, you know, there are people out there that go, oh, you should just buy a Volvo. No, that's not how this works. There are lots of Volvos out there that are not performing well because they're specced wrong, driven wrong, all kinds of reasons. This is, is a Tom Gavron. Got the electric APU on it. Got the wee bass old system you can set and forget. You can set it for two hours before you want to get to the truck. Your engine will be warm when you get to the truck. It's got all the fancy electronics on it like you like. I thought maybe you might might need the thing. What rerun ratio? I mean, I, I, I think it's a, I, I knew you were going to ask that. I'm pretty sure it's a 308. You probably See, there's don't like a problem. That. Probably I, I, I probably don't want it. That that's the the key yep. on all the emission engines today is to run them at the proper RPM as much as possible. And in general, we want to run every engine to the lowest RPM it can handle well, and we want to keep heat in the engine. And if not, then we're going to have those problems. Are you well, running I've catalyst? had plenty of problems anyway, Kev. Yes. Okay. Of course. Now here's here's something else we can throw in. We've talked about this before just recently. You could have a truck spec'd properly, drive it properly, do everything right, and they can still be those headache trucks. We talk about maybe it was built on a holiday weekend on a Friday or it was uh, built at the end no, of a no, of a tooling no. run. All that all that truck did for Tom was make money, I reckon. I mean he put a clutch in at about seven hundred thousand. That's another another perk on the truck. It's already had a, tr a clutch put in a transmission at seven hundred and something thousand. You know, sometimes we see clutches. So it's good to go. In in auto shifts, we see clutches being replaced because the specs are wrong. Yeah. If if we don't I, have I proper do startability, all, all I know is I, I, if, if we don't have proper know, startability, Kevin, it's I'm, hard on that clutch. The uh, the truck is going to to uh, uh, Fort Wayne, and I hope and pray I can get there next, a week from today, next week. And next week it's going to Fort Wayne for auction. And I, I'd appreciate an online bid if you could. I mean, it's going to be online. You can watch it go through if you want to help me out. If you don't, well, it'd be all right. I mean, I don't care. I don't have to have your help, but I would appreciate it if you would. Anyway... I'm I'm just saying what we're saying about this, about this truck, Kevin. I mean, it, it, it's cost me. It's going to cost me fifty grand time I get rid of it. It really is. It's going to cost me that much money. 
it's broke me. This it, it, one one poor bag decision in a truck has broke me. And okay? let let me address Let's go back. Let's go back to the previous call here. Miss Melody, she waited eight years to buy her first truck. I waited a month. I got my CDL in, in December nineteen ninety seven. In January ninety eight, I bought my first truck. I've succeeded four times in independent operatorship. I have. I mean, I've quit four times and come back every time. Well, you're persistent. So I, I don't see the as long as, as long as you work hard, you're going to make it somewhere or another. Pretty it, much in truck. Hard work, work hard. can make up for an awful it's lot. No I, I, I didn't even wait eight days to get my first truck. I bought my first truck before I drove. I mean, I, I've never really driven a company truck ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, not not a big company. I worked for a couple of small companies. In, in between times, I had trucks. Like six months or a year, you know, right? But not very long. Yeah the uh, the day yeah, I got yeah. out of the day uh, I got I out mean, of truck it, driving it, it, school, I yeah. I started renting a tractor from somebody and worked as an independent contractor for a couple of months till I bought my own. But I was still working as sir. A, I, as I, never, I never I never went to school. I never went to school. I went to the CDL test without going to school. Well, I didn't even take I'm a lying. CDL test when there, 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 there was a when there, I got my there license. Was a, it was well, a you have to take CDL. chauffeur's license in Ohio, and there was no written or driving test at all. It was just a short written test. Okay. Well, I never went to school for nothing. Uh, everything I learned, I learned the hard way. All right. So I mean, it's been a long education. Where are we now? What do we need to do with but, this thing? Uh, I, I, Trying to get it sold. I, I've and listen. Do you, you realize what a chokehold the insurance industry has on us? You you can't own two trucks, Kevin. Can't own two trucks your name unless you insure both. I'd have to pay forty thousand dollars in your insurance to be able to own that truck in my name. Uh, you know, I and my dispatcher has played you, played the switcheroo game here two or three times this dinner. I'm I'm sitting in nice right now. It's back making money for me. With insurance, sometimes you've got to move. I just talked to somebody who had almost zero experience, and they have their own authority, and they're paying eleven thousand dollars a year. And I have heard people say they they have to pay thirty or thirty five. I haven't heard forty. That's a higher number than I've ever heard. But yeah. Oh, that was for the second truck, Kevin. Don't you understand? Oh, it, you cannot own two trucks. The yes, insurance company will not let you own two trucks. No, Raymond, they won't. That's not true. I know many people who own two trucks, three trucks, four trucks, seven trucks. You can own two trucks today. I, I yeah, if you want to pay double premium. No, that's not true if either. You, wanna, if you, if you, you, you absolutely if you, will yes, not it pay. Is. Raymond, it's not true. Yes. You can't yes, tell it stories is true, on this Kevin, show. You will get called out every time. You will get called out every time. It is not, not true that the second truck doubles your uh, insurance I, I premium. I guess what? You know what? Yes, it does. In my condition, yes, they already sent me a fucking bill, Kevin. Yes, they did. They sent me a bill for thir- for $4,000, which my dispatcher well, had go, to pay. I, I, Raymond, I said keep, when it comes to insurance, insured. you have to get proactive. Shop around. You might have to move your trucks to another state. But to make a blanket statement that the second truck doubles your premium is incorrect. I'd like to know. Okay, maybe maybe Great West has some kind of program where you pay five thousand dollars for second truck. I don't happen to be with Great West. I'm with Canal. Canal does not have that program. You do have to pay two premiums. So go find another insurance company. That's my point. 
I've tried. I've tried and tried and tried. All right. I'm, I'm not. I'm honestly. I'm not sure how to Kevin, help you. I mean, listen here. I, 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 I'm not sure how to help me either. I, I know. I don't want good good solution out of this world, really. But I, I'm not ready to do that just yet. I mean, but I mean, come on now. It's got that bad, Kevin. It's got that bad on oh, me. Uh, hey, look. Uh, let, me, I, let me tell you about. Let me, I feel let me, bad let me, that me, I feel bad that you're trying to sell a truck when I just said prices of trucks you're looking at have just come down by 40 or $50,000. You're going to have a very hard time selling this thing. But that's just the reality. Oh, it's the reality. I, I, I wish I had never seen it. I mean, come on. I, mean, I would have had a hundred grand right now. I ain't got shit right now because of that truck. If I'd have kept on driving center and I asked to put me some 358 or I mean, two six four ears in here like I meant to. I wanted to, I, I was trying to improve, Kevin. I was trying to improve up to a Volvo. You know, it's a nicer truck. It really is. It's got, it's got the, all the amenities of home in it and all that. It's got the microwave Raymond, let me, let me, and all. Let me ask all, you this. But, let me ask you this. Because I do know how to help you. I just said I don't know how to help you, but I do. But you, you have to cooperate with me. Okay. Come what, on, tell me. What is your cost per mile for maintenance? You're telling me this truck is going to break you or it's breaking you. What is that number? What is it costing you per mile to keep this truck running? I've drove it 10,000 miles. I've spent probably 40 or 50. What you're spent, telling me uh, is you don't see. know that number. How do you figure that number when you have no history on the truck except for driving it's 30 days? Wait a minute. I, I if mean, you give me a truck gotta have in this one week, history on the truck. It, in one week, I will give you a number. Now, it's not going to be accurate, but it's a start. In two weeks, I'll give you well, a better number. In three weeks, my number gets more accurate. In a month, it gets more accurate than that. In a year, I've got a really good number. So the best time to start okay, tracking my numbers... The best time about, to start about, tracking about your numbers was the day you bought the truck. The next best time to start tracking your numbers is today. But you don't know the single most important number you need to know right now. And you're screaming the truck is going to break you, but you don't know the number. All right, 75 cents a mile. No, that's bullshit. That's you just so pulled far. that out of your ass. That's not true. I'll even tell you it's Kevin, about 40 right. cents a mile based on the math you gave us. All right. But my point is not to okay, tell you okay, that now, you're wrong. Uh, or to, to, My how, point how, is you need to know that how, number down to do the penny and down trip? to the mile, and you don't. How do I get rid of this trip? I'll figure it on the I'll give you a disease real report on the What's the nearest big I mean, city to Kevin, you right I don't now? Have, I don't have any history. Canton, Ohio. Oh, I'm very familiar I'm, I'm with Canton. Canton right hey, now. I'm very familiar with Canton. I want you to go to the southeast side of downtown. Hold on. Southeast side of downtown, park it on the street, leave the door open, keys in it, leave it running, and take an Uber home. <laughs> I think we solved this problem. Was the trailer attached? You know, if... If you really want to do it right, go get a go get a load of whiskey or beer somewhere. Make sure you know you write that on the side of the trailer and then leave it there. Okay, let's not be facetious here, Kevin. Come on now, uh, you know. Let's, let's get in the real world here, please. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm trying for help. to get in the real world. You keep arguing with me. I'm not arguing with you. We need a number. 
I'm speaking the truth. I'm speaking the truth. Well, and you're telling me I'm I'm lying. Seventy five cents a mile was a lie, wasn't it? Oh, uh, sir, I spent twenty five thousand seven hundred dollars on rebuilding that motor. Well, here's the here's here's the only numbers you gave me. You gave me I drove ten thousand miles. I've spent forty thousand dollars. That's a forty cent cost per mile. You pulled seventy five out of your ass, which is the same as lying. The truth would have been I don't know the number. I don't know the number, Kevin. Exactly. Good. I'm not a number. Now now here's how I can help you. When you get off, I I, I hate doing that. Here's how I can help you. When you get off this call. Go calculate that number and call me back and we'll talk about whether you should sell this thing or not. We don't know that yet. Yes, we do, Kevin. I've got to get rid of it. It's no uh, then, 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 Raymond, then Raymond, Raymond, listen. Our last conversation, you told me to make selling this truck a full-time job, and I pretty much have, but I haven't made any headpiece. All right. That's, what, that's the last time we talked about this. this I know because the last time you wouldn't give me the numbers either. Job. If I don't have the numbers, then we just I'm, have to make random decisions. Kevin, there's no decision to be made. The truck has to be sold. Period. Okay. Then sell it and take the, I, I, how I, much, from my, from my, It's a 2016. How many miles? My mental from? hell. 850. How much about do you owe 850, on it? maybe a little less than 860. What? What do you owe on it? I, I actually, I owe the bank nothing. Thanks to piss poor decision making, I owe my dispatcher $35,000. She has, she's independently set up. I borrowed the money from her. And I feel like shit about it, Kevin. I do. Now, so that's the truth. I owe her $35,000. I got to have 35 out of the truck. Will you give me 35 for it today? I thank you. So how have you tried to sell it so far? I put it in a truck paper. I advertised the truck paper. I, 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 I stuck with the truck paper and, and reduced the price supposed to and done all that stuff. Well, what, to, what, what better way is I put it, I put what, it on the internet. I what put it, price I put it on did every you, website. Raymond, slow down, slow down, slow down. I'm going to ask you questions. Give me short answers so we can keep moving on. What price did you list it for? I listed for $70,000. Ain't no way. You, I would have that thing listed for forty-five right now and dump it. There's no way you're getting seventy when, let me go back to the... What, what were the numbers I just gave? Well, a three-year-old truck is that you can almost buy a three-year-old truck for that. You're way, way over the market. I also told you when you go to truck paper, you were supposed to do a search for trucks with your specs. I told you exactly how to do it. And you were supposed to price it competitively below the average. You didn't do that. Uh, uh, last time we talked, Kevin, I already had it in paper. I already, I already well, you could have changed the ad. That truck should sell fairly quickly for 40 to 45. Hope you're right. But not listed at 70. Nobody's even going to call you at 70. So you don't even get a chance to negotiate. When you put a price in that's that far above the average, you'll never even get a chance to negotiate. I'm not going to call because... Hell, he's listed at 70. I, I want to pay 50 for it, maybe at most. He's not going to deal with me. So I'll go to the next truck that's listed for 55, and I'll offer them 50. Make sense? Uh, it's, 
you know, my friend, I'm, I'm sure this will probably be our last conversation. Hope you, you have a good day, my friend. Bye. You, you should call me back. I'm trying to help. Let's go to Missouri. Richard, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin and gang. Um, I got a 2003 T600 Kenworth. It's got a 12.7 Detroit in it. Gear ratio don't don't matter with what I'm what I'm dealing with right now. But uh, a couple weeks ago, my batteries died and completely dead. So I ha- I got the uh, start module on it. Uh, the blue one, what's it called? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Got start module on there, and uh, I guess it must have fried the start module on it because it ain't worth the crap right now. So I bought new batteries for it. I took a picture of everything before I unhooked anything. Took a picture of all the wiring. Smart thing to do. And whenever I put everything back, I put everything back according to what the pictures were. And got the batteries hooked up and all. And for whatever reason, the only power, the only 12 volt that I'm getting is to my batteries. And to my starter, I mean, my, yeah, my starter, I don't have any power to the, the two little uh, gadgets inside the battery box, which is, a, I think they call it a starter solenoid and a breaker. Uh, the starter solenoid should have, I checked my 2000, it should have power to one of the, one of the terminals, and the uh, breaker should have power to both sides, but I'm not getting any power on any of them. And I can't not figure this out. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so if oh, I don't, I don't even have, I don't even have power to my ignition or anything. Go ahead. So the batteries died, and then you charged them back up, right? And then no, 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 no. I bought, I bought brand new batteries. I tried to, I tried to charge it whenever it was dead. I tried to charge the uh, start module to get it crank. And I, I did do it the correct way. Uh, there's a there's a uh, specific way you're supposed to charge that start module. Uh, I did it the correct way, and it would get charged. But whenever I go to try to crank it, it wouldn't do anything. And it, um, so I don't have any any power. So I just went ahead and bought uh, four new batteries and put new batteries in. It took the start module out. Okay. And you say you have how? You have no power to the breaker? Yeah, I don't have no power going to either side of the breaker, which it should have power on both sides. And I don't have any power to one terminal on the start solenoid. And it should have at least power to one side because I'm assuming that whenever you start it, it shoots the power to the other side. But the only power that I got is I got 12 volts on every on all four batteries. And the uh, only power that is going anywhere is to the uh, starter the solenoid on the starter that's the only 12 volts to go into it don't have any power on anything else on the truck whatsoever yeah cause probably a lot of things want to pass the breaker so if you have nothing on either side of the breaker that's why nothing else works so i mean you should be able just to run a battery cable from the one side of the breaker to a, a red terminal uh the positive terminal you should have 12 volts to that one side and then you know if the breaker is is Pops, you won't have it. But if the breaker is good, then you'll have it on the other side. So you yeah, I bought need to. I bought brand, I bought brand new. Bra- I replaced the breakers because so the breakers new and the, the start solenoid is new. I went ahead and replaced both of those before I, before I put the batteries in. Now 
the the wires the uh, when I took a picture of the battery box and there's no wires a, any extra wires other than the big ca- uh, battery cable that's that's uh, bolted to the cape to the batteries so all that is the way it is in the picture whenever I took the picture there's no extra wires there there was one little small wire but that was going to a a um a power inverter I had in my truck I didn't even put that back I just left it all because the power inverter is bad but um, everything, all the other wires that's in the battery box went to the, either the breaker, there's four wires on that and two, uh, two wires on the starter solenoid and, uh, two small wires on the bottom of the starter solenoid. And, and all the ground got hooked back up too? Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know how to use a, a multimeter? Uh, I can use a test light. Uh, I'm not very knowledgeable on a voltmeter. I did, I did figure out how to get the volts on it to find out that there is 12 volts on the batteries and that it's getting power to the starter uh, and nowhere else. But as far as uh, I think I know how to do the ohms. There's an ohm setting on it, but uh, I ohmed out the, I mean, the you breaker. Could, yeah, go ahead. You, you could probably fix this with the test lights. So, I mean, yeah, just trace back the the cable that connects. The, the breaker and see if you have uh, light on the one side of on the battery side and then if you don't have any light on the other side then it, it has to be a break in the cable. Either you got a, like a terminal end that's broke off or something. I mean uh, now you that connect breaker, two that points. Goes, have, that breaker it goes into the fuse into the fuse box don't it? Because I traced it. Yeah but I mean that's going to supply the breaker, uh, like yeah, that's gonna supply power to the whole truck. So, okay, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the first, like, little line of defense before you get to fuses right. um, in case there's a, there's a big surge. But, yeah, I mean, if, there, if you got... Is there any fuses um, from that breaker going into the firewall uh, that I need to check? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you need to go troubleshoot really anything outside of the battery box. I mean, oh, okay. if you don't got anything to the breaker or the other side of it, the rest of the stuff's not going to have power. Yeah, um, I don't have any so power I would make sure on the breaker or the solenoid. Yeah, I mean, I'd make sure the ground's got hooked back up, and I would just use a test light from the one from the battery to the the breaker. If you don't have that there, then put a different battery cable on, um, or just, or just run a wire or something. I mean, just for test purposes, I wouldn't leave a tiny wire, but I mean, it should be enough just to you know make the truck maybe light up a little bit, um, yeah, even a dome light or something. Yeah, now, I, mean, I, I did. The truck. I, I did put I did put a, bat, a battery uh, cable to the a positive side of one of the batteries and I touched the breaker. Um, it did spark and I didn't want to tear anything up. So I just quit with it. Um, I probably could have just put it on there real quick and hold it and it probably wouldn't have sparked no more, wouldn't it? Yeah. A little yeah. spark is going to, is going to happen. That's, that's actually a good sign. I mean, if you, if you put it on there and things start to feel warm or like you're getting hot, then pull it off. But a little spark is going to be fine. You're always going to okay. have a little bit of a spark. There's a yeah, straw this, somewhere. Yeah, I know. I know there's a little spark, but this was more like a pop and a spark, and that's why I was wanting. To, I, I didn't know if I was fixing to tear something up, so I just pulled it back off. Now I did put the uh, that battery that jumper cable to the positive side of one of the batteries, and I touched the the uh, one side of the uh, uh, starter solenoid, not not on the starter, but in the battery box. I touched that starter starter solenoid. I guess that's what it's called. And it did, the truck did turn over. Um, so I, I know it, it will turn over, but that's not a problem. But uh, it does say not to crank it by that, so I didn't 
I didn't want to crank it up, didn't have no way of turning it off yeah. other than pulling a battery cable or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I would start with. Or like you said, you've had the little jumper cables. I mean, jumper cable from a battery positive to the breaker or I don't know. Do you have one breaker or two breakers or just what do you have? Uh, it's just got one breaker in the, in the box. Yeah. I would just go from the, a battery positive to the breaker and then just see if things start to light up. I mean, well, I wouldn't worry too much about burning anything up because, like I said, that's your first line of defense. The rest of the line of defenses are all going to be fuses. So, I mean, if you did really mess something up, you got fuses to protect you. So, I yeah, wouldn't worry and I did check all, I did check all the fuses in the fuse panel, and there was there was a couple of them blow, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think there's just other issues. Oh, uh, you're a, 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 you're a, in the I replaced box. all the fuses. Oh, okay, you're talking about in the yeah. battery box, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and uh, all right. Well, that's that's my problem right now. I'm gonna see if I can try to get that done. Appreciate okay. all y'all yeah, help. You, you're welcome. Yep, if you need any more help, just let me know. Thanks for the call. Hey, I want to uh, throw out some numbers on that call with the truck value selling the truck. Uh, here's something being posted on social media right now. So he had a 2016 with 800 and some thousand miles on it, and it was a Freightliner. He listed it for, what did he say, 70? Is that right? I said it should have been closer to 40 or 45. Um, Here's a very, very clean 2018 T680 Kenworth, 18-speed, 530,000 miles, does have a Packard motor in it, Um, $60,000. It's two years newer, um, 300,000 less miles, and it's listed for $10,000 less. He's not going to get a single call on that truck. He's got to totally reprice it. That's how fast this market has shifted. Let's uh, let's get back to some calls. Let's go to Virginia. Danny, welcome. Hey, Kevin. This call, is most of this is probably going to be for Leroy. Okay. Um, the 2011 Cascadia. I got some codes here. Um, on the dash when you flip through one is the sam controller which i'm guessing is the sam cab i don't know what these yeah, numbers yep. are maybe he can figure it out it says erratic 249 s 254 and uh, 02 uh, hang, hang on let me i was trying to find my pen here let me write that down go ahead again it's it's the sam controller erratic 249 s 254 and then 02. That's one of them. There's a chassis controller. I don't know what SHT high is, short high, but the numbers for it, it's 216S, 254, and 03. Okay. And what kind of truck was it? You said it was a Cascadia. 2011 DD15. There's also. I get this other codes from the uh, my e-log. PNW, number four, current below normal. And then the fan control device, same thing, current below normal. And I posted this up on uh, Truck and Tribe, and you had said that it was something in the wiring somewhere. But Inlet Air Temp, same thing, uh, shows up current below normal. How do you trace all that? Is that just going to be going through the wiring and trying to figure out where the short is or how? 
Yeah. So, um, well, we got to just break them down one at a time. We got a lot of different issues here. So we just got to take a one code at a time, figure out what it's saying, what's wrong with it, and then find their wiring that goes to it. That way we're not checking all the wiring and just, just back up from there. Um, I'm trying to look up the, the first couple that you gave me there. Also, another crazy thing, I've got my scan gauge plugged in, but the boost reading is nowhere near correct. I'm sitting still right now, and it's showing 13 pounds of boost. Um, it depends on if it's reporting it as absolute pressure or gauge pressure. Gauge pressure is just, you know, zero pounds above atmosphere. And then if it's reading absolute, that means it's reading atmospheric pressure. Sometimes some of the DDs read that way. They might read 13 PSI, 13.8, depending on what your altitude is. Um, so there's really no way to, cause I've seen that thing jump yeah. all over the place. I've seen it 40 pounds. Yeah, I mean, does has it always read thirteen like that, or it just started to do that? It, it no, it's it's always done that. It's never read correct in this truck, and it's not the scan gauge because I put it in my other truck and it reads fine. So it's it's whatever it's, it's reading. It's always read that way. Yeah, I mean, it'll jump all over. It can be forty pounds, twenty pounds, two pounds. There's no doesn't matter how fast you go and how slow you're going. Um, yeah, it sounds like, like it's I'm uh, still. If I rev the engine up, it just went up 17, 18. Now it's dropped back down. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, that sounds like it's an absolute it. number. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm trying my best to find these here, but my internet's a little slow. But um, the other yeah, option is while well, I got the, these numbers here. I'm trying to get the power up on this because I know this thing doesn't run correctly because there's. I almost have to hold your foot to the floor to just to accelerate. And I know that isn't. Yeah. Right. So there's, yeah. there's a power issue be. with the throttle. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But if you put, if you put the TPS on or engine load, it goes all the way up to a hundred on the TPS. So I know that's not a TPS issue. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, it could be a lot of different things like smoke control mode or thermal management modes. Uh, I don't think that's on the scan gauge, though. So, No. Bruce has been quiet. Is he even still here? I'm here. Oh, okay. You said earlier about power, no matter what you drive. I'm, I'm the same way. I like having... It doesn't have to be crazy power. You just want enough to get up and go yeah. when you need it. Yeah. You know, when you're pulling a trailer, whether it's with a pickup truck or a semi-truck, when you roll into the throttle, you want to feel that left front starting to want to pick up. But you you want it to feel it pick up and accelerate and charge into the hill. You don't want to push it to the floor and then nothing happens and then have to start grabbing gears. Right. I agree. Even with the cars and whatnot, I'm, yeah. I like the old cars with the, the horsepower. Do you ever work a chainsaw and cut down trees? Do you ever have a chainsaw? You have to pull on the trigger and wait for the blade to accelerate, and then you touch it into a log and it dies. And it's like, really? How am I going to cut these trees, you know? And it's, it's, it's the same way. You have a lawnmower and the grass is a little high and it stalls the lawnmower. That's no fun cutting the grass that way. No, we, we, got, a, we got an electric one now, an Ego. Oh, okay. 
but it'll still bog down if it's if the grass is too tall. You got to get the the big tractor out and cut it down and use that to get around the trees that you can't get up close to. All right, we have got to. I like, uh, I, I don't mind the longer calls and some chit chat, but I've got to watch the clock. I've got a uh, conference call today. We've got to get through these calls, so we're going to keep moving. Go to Missouri, Chad. Welcome I'll to the program. Back. What's that? Hey guys, I. I'll go. Possible solution for that guy with his Maxwell start uh, start module. If I missed some of this because I was on hold, I apologize. But remember, the start module has uh, has two positive terminals. One goes direct to the starter, and you separate the ECM, and you go to a junction block. Um, sounds to me like he's not getting the right any power or the right power to his ECM to begin with. Um, so I would make sure that he he went to that junction block and got his ECM power back and put that to the the regular uh, positive terminal. Also, if he's got some power but not all, a lot of times that main junction block going to the ECM has has four, you know, 25 amp fuses in it. If he didn't check those already, sure. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. To me, it just sounds yeah, like maybe that ECM time. is plugged into that junction block somewhere and it didn't get moved, you know, to a positive, which would make sense that he he took the main starter cable. You know, and it's and it's showing power at the starter and solenoid, but he's not going to see any ECM power because that that's still hanging somewhere, well, not connected. It, it sounded like to me that he didn't have any besides ECM power. He didn't have any cab power or anything. Like he opened the door and nothing happened. It sounded like the complete truck was dead. Yeah, um, I think that's well. Yeah, it sounds right to me. But I would think that would be that main harness. Uh, that ECM is going to go through the through the fuse panel first, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, like you're saying, it be wired in the max. I kind of remember something. If you don't wire the Maxwell right, that happens. But yep. it's been a long time since I've been the Maxwell because of the two pauses. Like I said, I'm guessing he's got a day. he's got a wire hanging on a junction block somewhere that needs to be moved straight back to the battery. Yeah, yeah, you might be on something there. Okay. Good luck. Thanks. All right. Thanks for the call. Yep. Let's go to Arizona this time. Sam, welcome to the program. Oh, let me try that again. Uh, there we go. Sam, welcome. All right. Uh, yeah, hi, guys. Um, got a couple of questions for you. I'm fixing to buy a newer truck. Let me give you a little bit of the history. 27 years trucking, 25 years owner-operator. I'm on my third truck right now, C680 with a I-615, approaching a million miles. Uh, no major issues. Everything is stock. Uh, quite a bit working on my truck by myself, mechanically inclined. So I know your uh, view. I've been listening to you for years. Uh, I could keep this truck for a while. Uh, did some numbers on an overhaul that might be coming, money I would have to spend on it. But the prices going down on the trucks, really thinking about it might be a time to jump in and uh, get something newer. I'm mostly looking into T680 with Cummins X15 and also started looking into Volvos. And I'm not sure how to spec them. I can tell you what I do. Uh, I'm pulling a low pro step back. My main concern is the fuel mileage. That's number one. I would like to stick with Cummins simply because I know quite a bit about them. Nothing about Volvo, but because of the fuel economy and Volvo, uh, really seriously thinking about it. So 
what kind of specs would I need for X15 T680 or Volvo? I believe it's 2019 or 20 that they came up with a new engine. What specs would I need there? I'm driving 80% of miles in California, speed 60, the rest is Arizona, uh, 65, even though I could lower that speed. But my thinking is maybe 13 speed indirect where I can be so, so let, let, down. Let, let's, stop. Let, let's stop. Let's work on the, the Cummins first because that sounds like that's your first um, preference. Okay. So you're in an operation that you just described where it's easier to spec some of these other trucks to perform as good as a Volvo might in an operation like this. One of the advantages on the Volvo platform is we are able to actually spec that turbo compound engine to run at highway speeds in three different gears. That's pretty incredible. That gives us a wide range of speeds and all kinds of things we can do. In your operation, you don't need that. You're basically running one speed, somewhere less than 65, and we can spec almost every truck to do that pretty well. Uh, on a Cummins, I'd be looking at 264s, but I'd be looking at one of the 12-speed smart transmissions, not the old-school 13-speeds. These new transmissions are really efficient. They're not causing us problems. They are very drivable. So I'd be looking at, I guess it'd be the 12-speed Endurant, if you're looking at a Cummins, uh, and 264s. Bruce, you do a lot more with the ISX. Is, is there any other gear ratio you find that's working well? What speed does he want to drive? 65 or less. He's in California and, and uh, Nevada. That's it. And what year is this truck going to be? I'm looking at the newer options, probably 1920. I think he needs to be more down in the 228. I'm sorry, the 247 gear ratio. The ISX uh, that, is doing okay with those. 12 speed. What's the, what's the final speed or final gear ratio on that 12 speed? The way the, there are several uh, configurations. I would do a single overdrive on in this one. Yeah, I think 247s would be better because it's going to bring him down 264s is going to put him just a little bit above the 1400 oh, and yeah. that's where it starts that's to cut much. back so i'd be at the 247s yeah now he's going to leave if you're going to leave california you actually want 228s and uh, if you're going to get out and run along at 70 or so but you know uh, the one thing we've somewhere got between the 228 and the one thing we've got to warn people about, we go to the 228s on an ISX. It can work, and then that gives you that flexibility with an overdrive to go faster. You've got to be careful about running that ISX down too low in the RPM range. That bottom end won't hand up, handle it quite as well. But uh, And if you're going to go with the Volvo, then I would oh. spec down to those really low number high gear ratios down in the low twos and with the single overdrive and then that gives us that flexibility uh to run in multiple gears but you know kevin with the ecms they control the torque at those rpms and they'll they'll restrict the torque on what they feel is safe and if they're telling you uh a thousand a thousand fifty to fourteen hundred i mean there's nothing wrong with being at 1,200. Oh, 12 would be fine. Yeah, I'm not worried about 12. I just don't want somebody with those 228s to end up in a 
overdrive gear down at 900. No, no. No, no. This is all running in direct gear. Uh, I'm talking about running direct gear, even though you have an overdrive transmission uh, with the 247s. Right. Yeah, you're you're right. If you're going to run overdrive, you'd want the two sixty fours. But I I would gear it to run indirect. Yeah, the the option with the gear ratios, we could we could have a single overdrive, run it primarily indirect at our sixty two, sixty three, whatever he's going to run. Have that overdrive gear there when we got to get out and do seventy plus. I just remind people don't think you're going to run that ISX in that overdrive gear at 60 something and do even better if we get too low in the RPM on that engine it's going to be hard on it yeah oh I don't I don't there's nine, 17,000 parameters they know how to set that ECM so it won't be hard on it on the lower end Sam is that helping at all that's doable helping a lot Helping a lot. Uh, I will definitely start looking around. If the price keeps going Good. down, I will and maybe do something about it. I just wanted to. Yeah, and here's the other here's me, the other piece of advice. I like that you're calling now. You have a budget. You have a couple trucks in mind. We were able to give you some big picture stuff to go look at. Then as you look at each individual truck, call us back. You know, or if you have two or three you're looking at, list all the specs Call us up. We'll we'll start comparing them, and then we can talk about specific trucks. And here's appreciate Here's what Walmart's doing. Walmart's running direct 247 gear at 65 mile an hour. They're at 1375 RPM. Wow! Indirect. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. Um, okay. I wouldn't have thought it was that high. Twenty five tires. Yeah, twenty two five tire. 1375 at 65. Okay. Indirect, two two forty seven. The two sixty five, two sixty four gear at sixty five will be fourteen sixty four. So now you're above. Oh yeah, that's the torque cutoff. Yeah. Where would I be at sixty with two forty seven? Two forty seven at sixty, you would be at twelve eighty. Just about perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that's where I'm at almost right now. I'm at 1270. Now, you're not going to find a Kenworth with that gear. You're going to have to change it. Uh, Now, I I will uh, tell you this. Here's an opportunity for negotiation, When, especially now when dealers aren't going to be selling as many trucks as they have the last couple years. They're more willing to make deals. So if I know I'm looking for this specific truck, I can't find the right rear end ratio. If I'm at a dealer that has a shop, especially, that becomes part of the negotiation. I'll buy this truck. Part of my negotiation is you're going to change the rear end ratios at your cost. If you find one with a 308 gear at 65 in double over, this was for Mal Emerson, that's 1265 RPM. That was in an ISX 18-speed manual. So the 308 is doable. Yeah, I've seen part of those. 308. You won't find a 247. You're going to have to do that yourself or like Kevin just said. The other thing, Bruce, that's changed a little bit, and that's why I kind of stay away from the old school 13 and 18 speeds now. 
we were kind of hyper-focused on always driving a 13-speed or an 18-speed indirect because they're more efficient that way. The new 12-speed smart transmissions, the, over, the direct drive is only a tiny improvement over the overdrive gears. Um, those overdrive gears are a lot more efficient in these transmissions. Uh, I think the 13 and 18 Why? speed, we might lose like 3% because of oil churn and gear lash and just the design. And these new 12 speeds don't have nearly as much of that. I think the difference now is only like 1% for overdrive mm. or for direct drive, I mean. So we still like direct drive. We still like flexibility, being able to drive in both direct and overdrive. But you can spec a truck today to run in overdrive. You're not going to lose much at all. I mean, it's not even measurable on these newer transmissions. I'd like to see, you know, I I like to see what's inside that they changed to do that. You should. It is. It's a. It's a different architecture. They're they're built quite a bit different yeah. than the 13 and 18 speeds and that they've made them much, much more efficient. And also we're starting to run lighter gear oils in some of these, they're designed for lighter gear oils. So we're just not seeing that, that what we used to call about a 3% split between direct and overdrive. Now it's down to almost one in the smart transmissions. All right, Sam, you got a plan? I got a plan and I will definitely call you guys back. All Thank right. you so much. I appreciate you. We'll look forward to it. You're welcome. All right. We're going to wrap this up today. Anybody want to close with anything? We were all over the board today. Good show. Yeah, we were very much all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. All right. We will uh, wrap it up. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power, Bruce and Eric and Leroy for doing the heavy lifting today. We'll do it again next week. I will see you back here tomorrow. We have a big show on Destination Health. Um, we are tackling oral health and we, we found a partner. We've got an awesome company with great products. Um, and she's joining us tomorrow to kick this off. So we're going to learn an awful lot about oral health tomorrow. We'll see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.